Airline Pilot Guy, episode 343. Hello, you're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy show, the view from our side of the cockpit door. I'm Captain Jeff, your host, broadcasting live from Studio 1A at the APG headquarters. Today's show was recorded on the 6th of October, 2018. Today's episode, the FAA reauthorization bill passed by the Senate and signed by the President. Two Antonovs collide on the runway. Primera Air shuts down. More news, your feedback, and this week's plane tale, the fearless flying Columba Livia Domestica. So get all settled in. Tray tables and seatbacks in their upright and locked positions. Electronic devices powered on. Flight 343 is ready for pushback. Yay. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. It's an aviation podcast where we talk about uh, things in aviation news and answer your great feedback. And joining me today to help with that is our lovely co-host, Dr. Steph. She's in downtown Chicago, Illinois. She's a doctor, a skydiver, a marathon runner, strength training junkie, IPA connoisseur, and commercial multi-engine instrument rated pilot. Dr. Steph. Hey, Captain Jeff. Glad to be here. And I'm sorry for um, any bad audio on my end. This is not my usual setup, obviously. And unlike the magnificent Captain Jeff, who travels with all of his high quality audio gear, um, I did not this week. So I'm doing my best with an iPad and a pair of wireless Bluetooth headphones and microphone. So we'll see how that goes. It's going to work out just fine, Steph. And I hate it when I have bad audio on my end. It's kind of painful. Also joining us today from his studio in England, professional photographer, former RAF, RAAF fighter pilot, current captain for an international airline based in London, Captain Nick. Hi, Jeff, and hi, energetic staff. Yeah, great to be on the show. Hi, what a fantastic time of the day. And because it's hosing it down outside, I'm delighted to be in the little studio recording with you today. Oh, it's a little rainy there, huh? Yep, horrible day. England? Rain? What? Nah, never That's happened. Pretty sure. <laughs> and again, this week, uh, our good friend and co-host, uh, Captain Dana, is not with us. He's up uh, at a family gathering up in the Boston area, I believe. So, Dana, if you're listening, we miss you and uh, look forward to having you back maybe next time. And, uh, yeah, so uh, what has everybody been doing? Let, let's start with Steph. I have a feeling that she is, she's had a busy week and I think uh, maybe even a busy day already, even though it's very early in the day for her. So what's Man, up, Steph? Not, not much to report, actually. It's just, no, I'm just kidding. Um, oh. So <laughs> clearly I am not at, at home. I'm in Chicago and I'm here for the Chicago Marathon, which is taking place tomorrow. So that is what I'll be doing for the majority of the day tomorrow. Um, but I made a little vacation out of it and I've been here all week, got here on Monday and had some time during the week to meet up with some family and friends along the way. So that's been a lot of fun. 
And one of those friends um, is the one that everyone uh, listening knows or should know. And that was Pilot Pip. He was uh, in town after his sim recurrent and had a chance to spend a little bit of time with him as well. So it's been a it's been a great week. And actually this morning, yeah, speaking of busy mornings, I just finished. There's a 5K run that they do the day before the Chicago Marathon. So I signed up for that and went out and ran that. And speaking of bad weather as well, there were thunderstorms that came through this morning. So they delayed the start of the 5K, which I'm glad when we were discussing the time for this show, I I actually hesitated and said, oh, let's do it 15 minutes later. Um, so that actually, because they delayed the start by 15 minutes. So my time was pretty good. I finished in 25 and a half minutes or so, 25, 45 or something like that. I have to go back and get the uh, the official time, but yeah, got my... 5k finisher medal and then we it finished right in front of the hotel so that was great so i walked back over here um got my chai latte and then discovered the room key did not work Mm. so i had to go back down to the desk although i didn't have my id with me because all i had was my room key because i just ran a race and they said well we'll have to have security meet you up there so you can show them your id so i still don't even have a new room key because I didn't have time to go back down and get another one. But I did jump in the shower quickly, which is a good thing, because I was, after it rained, it was about 100% humidity, and it's kind of warm today. It's in the mid-60s Fahrenheit. So it was kind of kind of humid and sticky for the run this morning. Did you use your uh, new shoes, or did you stick with your Adidas? No, I stuck with the Adidas, because I'd, it was raining pretty hard right before we actually walked out the door to go run, and I didn't want them all wet and nasty for tomorrow, so... I might just walk, wear them around today, the rest of the day, just walking them, get used to the feel. Because I'm going to try and run in them tomorrow, which sounds like a no-no, but with these new fancy shoes, it's actually supposed to be okay. We'll okay. see. Well, you know what? I didn't realize, I just thought you were there for the 5K. I didn't realize you were actually running in the marathon as well. Oh, yeah. I just traveled to Chicago for a 5K. <laughs> well, that's true. <laughs> it's something I would do. Well, well I thought it was just that, to that, go that see a pizza. I thought it was just to go see a uh Cubs game or something, you know? Yeah, I saw two Cubs games this yeah, week. Yeah, Cubs Pip. game. Got to see Pip. It's been a it's been an action packed week. It's been a lot of fun. I enjoyed it. And my uh, my brothers are here. They're actually in the next room over. So if you hear all kinds of loud noises, I'm sure they're having a party. No, they're not. They're actually <laughs> they're running the race tomorrow as well. So they're hopefully laying low today. Yeah, right. Um, I know your brothers. I doubt it. Um, so I see that we have some uh, audio here in the uh, yes. intro folder. Uh, it says Steph's feedback. Should mm-hmm. I should I play that? You should play that. Okay. Right now? Yeah. Okay. Let's do it. Well, hey, Captain Jeff in the studio. It's Dr. Steph here on location in Chicago, Illinois. And I am here for a variety of reasons. I'm not sure if I'll actually make it on the show this week or not. But the main reason I'm here is to run in the Chicago Marathon this upcoming Sunday, which is a few days from now. Uh, But while I was here, I had the chance to meet up with um, someone that our listeners will know. uh, Sitting right next to me, Pilot Pip. Hey, yes, I'm here in Chicago as well. And the main reason for me being here is to not run the Chicago Marathon. <laughs> so it's, why, it's been why a long-term goal of mine to not run the Chicago Marathon. And up until now, I've been pretty damn successful. Yeah, he's avoided it for another <laughs> year, even though I did try and get him uh, involved earlier this year. Anyway, so why are you here? You had a couple of days elsewhere. Not in yes, Chicago. so I, uh, as my regular six-monthly trip to the States, uh, going to the sim in Columbus, Ohio, 
So I've been there this last uh, week or so. We had a great time uh, in the sim, meeting up with friends, with uh, Jen, with James, doing some work, playing some golf, uh, and generally enjoying the, the lovely city of Columbus. And then as a little reward, as a little treat to myself, uh, I've come across here to Chicago to spend a few days looking around. It's a little perk of coming to the, the States every six months. Our travel and training department don't mind if we take a couple of extra personal days either side to um, come and be a tourist. So last time when I was here six months ago, I went to New York. I met up with Dave Abbey and had a great time there. Uh, and this time I thought, right, it's time to go visit Chicago. Yeah, um, I may have lobbied for it a little bit because I knew the, the dates worked out where we could maybe meet up and say hi to each other and yeah, do a little bit of sightseeing. Yeah, it seemed to make sense. And Chicago was the kind of obvious next choice after New York. I came here once before, almost exactly 20 years ago, in fact, um, to have a little look around just briefly for a few days. Uh, but it's great to come back and uh, see everything a little more fully uh, and also to have a, a local knowledgeable guide to uh, to show me around and recommend things. So uh, we're going to spend the day today mm -hmm. um, looking around. I think I guess we're going to go on a, a boat tour. Yep, we're going to do the uh, architectural boat tour, which yeah. is actually one of my favorite things to do. I always learn something new about the city. I'm looking forward to that. A little later on, I'm going to try and get across maybe to the, the planetarium and certainly to one of the big buildings. Which big building am I, I going, going to? we're going to do the uh, John Hancock building. We're going to go up at the yeah. top of the, the John Hancock building up on the... 10,000th floor. 96th floor. They 96th have a bar floor. where yeah. you can sit and have drinks. And if it's a nice sunset, it's a nice uh, nice view of the city too. Yeah. So that'll be great. And then um, I guess you've got plans tomorrow, but I've still got most of the day tomorrow to go and uh, enjoy myself a little bit more. Uh, so looking forward to that. And this actually worked out pretty well. We just recorded an episode of your show, the Plane Safety Podcast. Mm -hmm. And we had one other guest with us who is still here. So if you'd like to say hi, Captain L. Hello there. Yes, I'm the other side of the Atlantic in Romania. So uh, I think we've, uh, we've determined to... actually the other side of the world based on how many time zones <laughs> difference we yeah, are right now. Yeah, perhaps in more ways than one, actually. But yeah. <laughs> uh, we'll not go go down that avenue. Um, so uh, you think that you've uh, just coordinated with Pip there to uh, do a little bit of recording and some sighting? Actually, you've been kidnapped and Jeff needs to provide a large brown envelope with used notes to get you back onto his show. Okay. Otherwise, you're staying with us. Sorry, Jeff, Jeff, this is not going to be cheap. Help. Uh oh <laughs> I know how many millions you've got in that coffee fund. <laughs> <laughs> I'll do what I can to escape here. I think I've uh, hatched a plan. Please. There will be no escape. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You're in Romania. What are you going to do about it? Well, Steph's a very, a very valuable commodity, so I'm sure uh, Jeff will pay up eventually. We'll start having to, to mail him toenails or something. Uh -oh. Well, running marathons, there's no shortage of those. Exactly, that's where I was going with that. <laughs> anyway, well, thank you guys for uh, sticking around after we recorded that uh, Plane Safety Podcast episode, which was number... 54, planesafetypodcast.com. Thank you very much. Yep, you can find that coming soon to your podcatchers, and... I think unless you guys have anything else to, to add, I'll throw it back to Jeff in the studio. That's it. See you, everyone. Bye. Oh, wow. You threw yeah. it really hard back to me there. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Sorry. Did you catch Pip's little love note to you there at the end, too? Yeah, I did. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was great. Good. Great audio. Um, I didn't realize you, you recorded a show with him. That's awesome. Yeah, we had enough time that. to do it. it. It worked out with Al's schedule, too. We were kind of uh -huh. lazy in the morning before we started uh, 
doing our sightseeing for the day. So we did that. And um, yeah, it was a great time. Awesome. 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 Okay, great. Uh, let's see. Anything else, Steph, before we... Uh, oh, I think on? that's enough. I'm exhausted just listening to everything that I've done this week. <laughs> Hopefully I have enough energy to run a marathon tomorrow. <laughs> I think you will. And we'll get to hear about it on the next show. Exactly. Your recap. Um, all right. Uh, Nick, what have you been up to, sir? Well, I've just come back from a New York. A, a slightly disappointing from one side because one of the only reasons I went to New York was to get hold of the new Apple Watch, only to discover that the entire of New York's supply of watches had been purchased by you, or was it Dana? I forget. But there wasn't a single one left in New York, so I left empty-handed. Very disappointing. Um, the good news was, though, that uh, we had a very discreet little meetup. wasn't going to be a, a big one because we weren't. I wasn't going to be around for very long um, with uh, a few of our lovely listeners. And uh, I think we've got a bit of audio of that. Okay, Jeff. Uh, this is uh, Nick, and uh, we're in New York. And we're at one of the oldest bars in New York. Uh, I believe it opened in uh, 1880, and it's called the... Um, the White Horse Tavern. The White Horse Tavern. Okay, so I'm here with Tanya. Hello, all. It's so wonderful to be talking to you again. And I have a big uh, audio feedback in the, in the works, but it's... In the works? Where's the works? <laughs> back at my apartment but it's so lovely to be here tonight with captain nick and mailman dave and the wonderful amazing first officer sue who flew over with captain nick and my sweetheart philip and radio roger and we're having a lovely lovely evening tonight at this historic location in the uh the west village of manhattan and we're just having a wonderful time well, it would have been a wonderful time if I managed to get my damn Apple Watch. David, how nice to see you again. Oh, it's great to be here. It was uh, kind of a quite a journey from work to get here. It took a few hours, but wow, it was totally worth it. And I'm so glad to be here. And what Tanya said was uh, spot on. Excellent. How's things for you? Everything okay? Yeah, life is good. I feel very fortunate. Everything's good. Great to see you, Nick, and meet your beautiful first officer. I'm glad you brought her along, to be honest. Yeah, so am I. She adds a little color to the place. Okay, talking of my beautiful first officer, Sue, um, I'm going to ask you to say a few words for the audience. If you can get a word in edgewise. Oh, it's New York. Radio Roger, why aren't you covering this event? I'm done. I was covering a, it's a tornado this this afternoon, uh, and uh, there's a big Yankee game, so that's taking up most of our airtime, and uh, there's not much going on as far as I know, or I'd be there. So well, uh, the, yeah, well, I, I really appreciate that. So uh, it's nice to see you. We haven't seen each other since I came up to your wonderful house for that um, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. We Jews celebrate their exodus from Egypt. Uh, no, I, it's been a while. I've missed you, Island. I knew you were not. You had some medical issues, so I'm glad you're fit, or I assume you're fit, and you're able to fly and be back here. And uh, hopefully, before you retire, you'll have some more trips here. Well, hopefully. I mean, as regards my ability to fly, I'm going to have to refer that question to my 
very attractive first officer, who is uh, Sue, come to our company uh, from another company we shan't mention, because we don't talk about our airlines, Sue, because uh, we like to stay anonymous. But tell me, how are you enjoying being with Acme Red? I am very much enjoying it, Nick. It's been a pleasure. I woke up this morning, standby call out. Didn't think I'd be sitting here in the pleasure of such marvellous people in downtown New York. And it's been a treat. Excellent. Well, I'm very glad. Uh, the only person who hasn't spoken is Philip. And well, I don't speak. Right? You know, I'm just not a speaker, right? Because I usually control the microphone and I don't want to be in front of the microphone because I don't know what to say. Right. You know. Ask me a question and I will like respond. Well, I know I'm doing well, but you're you're doing marvelously. Uh, the question I'd ask you is, how wonderful is this lovely lady beside you? Oh, Tanya is just a marvelous human being. She like takes care of me and she's like, got it, got me here tonight and made this evening happen. I mean, I am very happy to be with her. Brilliant. Okay, that's it. From another meetup in New York, what a fantastic evening. We're having a ball. So uh, all the best to you all. And uh, back to you, Jeff, in the studio. Well, thank you. Wow. It sounds like you guys had a great time. And uh, any pictures, Nick, of the uh, beautiful first officer, Sue? Uh, yeah, they, we did tweet some. Uh, oh, at least, I missed uh, it, it might I have been on the BFFs, but uh, yeah. uh, we can put some out, uh, certainly for the show notes, uh, most definitely. And what else has happened to me? Um, of course, uh, just before I left, I did a stack day, which is uh, down at Swanwick, our air traffic control center for uh, most of the uh, England. Uh, and um, they... Uh, have a sort of training day and they invite airline pilots to come along and participate in their discussions and they talk about various air traffic incidents that have occurred uh, with a training theme uh, about uh, discussing uh, why things went wrong and uh, what they could do about it next time. So that was interesting. And um, the lovely Adam Spink took time off. He actually took a day off to come and participate as well. And they were all very excited to see a a tower controller down there because they don't often uh, mix because Swanwick's some distance from Heathrow. Uh, so uh, we had a great day there. Um, on the way home, uh, I uh, invited Adam to come back to my Wee Studio and uh, we did an interview, uh, which will feature, I hope, fingers crossed, in future plane tales because Adam has a fantastic story to tell about one particular incident. But we have to get it cleared by his employer's PR department. And so that may take a while. Uh, however, he didn't leave me empty-handed because very nicely Adam left me with two super gifts. So I've got um, the 50 years first 50 years of Heathrow air traffic control, and that's the old tower, which I think is now a listed building. I don't think anyone's allowed to knock it down, uh, which is brilliant. And thank you for that. It's got some it looks like it was pretty straight to me. It doesn't look like it's listing at all. <laughs> oh, such a joker, yes. Uh, and, and a mug. Okay, so Ooh. this mug is decorated with the an exact replica of the markings that were on the first Hossa glider to land during the D-Day um, invasion uh, and Second World War, uh, and the, the first one to land in the attack that was made on Pegasus Bridge, Bridge when uh, they uh, successfully um, invaded 
and uh, took over that bridge so that uh, they could control the access to the beaches and prevent, if necessary, reinforcements arriving. Um, brilliant. It was actually one of my plain tales. So, uh, you know, if, if you dig back, you'll find that story. And that, lovely to have that mug with those markings on. But that's not the only mug I got. Because I know, <laughs> so exciting. Um, you had previously met up with Tanya, I know, Jeff, and yes. uh, via d uh, devious means finally got uh, this to me. Now, this is like, you see, see, this is a British mug. <laughs> and this is an American mug. Which America. America. <laughs> America. You could probably fit three or four of these British mugs inside this vast American bucket, but it's delightful. And uh, it has, uh, oh, you've got yours there as well. I do. It is beautifully engraved with our APG logo and has the old curmudgeon written on it, which I think is fantastic. So thank you very much indeed to Mike Cochran, who uh, sent it out ages and ages and ages ago, but it's taken a long time to get uh, to me. But it's uh, finally arrived, and thank you very much indeed for that. Excellent. Well, um, did you happen to, you know, Steph met up with this guy. Uh, what was his name again? He does some kind of a podcast um, uh, every, like twice a year, I think. Yeah, the guy that's from, right. Uh, Safe Jets? Yeah, Safe Jets. Did you meet up with that guy? Um, I don't know. Yeah. I, I got accosted by some bloke while I was having a coffee, you know, just after I landed. I don't know who it was, though. Okay, well, let me see if we can recognize his voice. Hmm. Hi Jeff, I'm at Heathrow Airport and I'm sitting here at Terminal 3 and I've just been hijacked by... Hello, uh, it's me again, Pilot Pip. How is everybody? He, he's, been, he's been hobnobbing with Steph and I think he's sending some damn feedback. We're going to have to do something about this bloke. Yeah, sorry about that. I've been stealing all your co-hosts. Um, actually, this has been a good week for me for meetups. I met up with Jen, with James Bolch, with Steph, with the good Captain Nick here. Um, I don't know what I did to deserve all this, but uh, it's very nice. It's because you're an infamous pilot. Infamous? I can live with that, yeah, I suppose so. <laughs> Brilliant. All right, I know you're going to have plenty to talk about this show, so I'm going to keep this sweet. This is uh, Pilot Pip in Terminal 3, having just come back from Chicago, saying goodbye. Yes, very tired, so I'm going to go to bed. Um, but nice to see you here in, uh, in uh, Cafe Nero having a coffee. Thank you very much. Cheers. Perfect music. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes, it was. Um, and I don't know if we're going to bring it up at some point, but uh, one of our uh, famous uh, and lovely listeners has a birthday today. Yes. In fact, the, the young lady that you were uh, talking with and meeting up with in New York, Tanya, uh, is celebrating a birthday day today. I think she's like 25, something like that. She looks younger, but uh, yeah. 25, I think, would do. Yeah. Happy birthday, Tanya. Happy birthday, Tanya. Yes, happy birthday, birthday to you. Happy birthday hey, to you. And then you showed your uh, your fancy little book that uh, Adam Spink gave you. Well, yeah. I, no, I don't know if I ever mentioned this. When we were, uh, when I was in the UK for uh, Riyadh, actually, uh, we met up with uh, Adam. I think it was Riyadh, wasn't it, that uh, he gave us? Uh, yes, it was. Uh, he was me controlling this nice, there. That's right. And uh, he gave me a nice little gift. You know, we had talked um, on earlier shows about Q codes, um, like uh, Q and E and Q and F and all these different Q codes. And he uh, was able to find this wonderful uh, Q code um, 
from the Ministry of Civil Aviation and Air Ministry. I guess that's some kind of a religious thing. Uh, I'm not sure. Um, anyway, uh, from uh, the Q code and other abbreviations to be used in the Civil Aeronautical Radio Service. And it's a, a nice uh, old book. I, I'm trying to find the date on it, but I can't seem to uh, see it at this moment. But anyway, it's nice and old, and uh, it's very interesting with all the Q code information in it. Thank you, Adam. Appreciate that. He is a very thoughtful guy. Oh, he is. He, he gave me a lovely old program from the Hendon Air Display, which is, you know, the original uh, first air displays really that happened in the UK, the big ones. So uh, that was lovely too. All right. Um, so let's see. What else um, was I going to say? I had something else very, very clever to say, but of course it's gone now. So, oh, well, maybe it will come to me at some point. But I'm glad that we were able to uh, come up with the money to uh, uh, get uh, Steph out of bondage. Uh, yes, I want her. to say thank you for that um, publicly to you guys. I appreciate you yeah, yeah. bailing yeah. me out of. We don't have any money left in the. Uh, we don't have any money left anymore in the coffee fund, I but it, do it, apologize you're worth about it. That. <laughs> <laughs> and instead of the Class A motorhome at Oshkosh next year, we're going to be in tents. We're always intense. Yeah, we're. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, let's see. I um, had a. Oh, speaking of um, co pilot named Sue, I had a co pilot named Susan this week and uh, really enjoyed flying with her and uh, had a great trip, a four day trip. And on Monday of that trip, I met up with Tanya and Phil and we uh, went over to the, what is it, Pier 22 or something like that. And uh, got on the yacht Manhattan 2 for a nice sunset cruise around the Hudson and the south end of Manhattan Island up the East River and then back around. And we were in front of the uh, Statue of Liberty and Ellis Island and we had a grand time. And so thank you, Tanya and Phil, for that nice treat. It was nice seeing you. Um, next day I was in Manhattan again, but I just kind of laid low and tried to get some work done on editing the last show that we recorded the, the day before I left on that four-day trip. And then the following day on Wednesday, I got to have a Orlando layover, which is kind of a, a fluke because uh, Acme is not using the Mad Dogs much or at all anymore in Orlando. But for some reason, I guess it was the first trip of the month, some kind of a transition trip. They needed to use the Mad Dog to fly from Orlando to Atlanta on Thursday morning, really early. And uh, that gave me the opportunity to deadhead down to Orlando on Wednesday. And I got to meet up with my son and we just hung out and talked and caught up and that kind of thing. So that was Brilliant. really nice. And yeah, I didn't record any audio with our uh, little meetup with uh, Tanya and Phil on the Manhattan too. But we did have some nice wine and Tanya brought, she loves cheese and she brought a whole bunch of nice uh, upscale cheeses and some crackers and we enjoyed that and our wine and and the beautiful views out the windows of the yacht. So that was nice. And coming up, um, you remember uh, Peter Biondi, the uh, multiple language speaking 
uh, airport chaplain in Atlanta. He's also a professor of aviation, and he is uh, an alumni or alumnus. What would be the proper word, uh, Steph? Alumnus of Embry-Riddle? Um, Something sure. like he He went to Embry-Riddle and graduated. Perfect. <laughs> and I like that. Yes. Good workaround. Yes. Uh, they are having a homecoming next weekend. And Peter um, invited me to be his guest. And so I'm going to fly down there after my trip this week. I'm going to head on down to uh, Daytona Beach and meet up with Peter. And on Friday afternoon, there is a talk that we're going to go to from a former NTSB investigator, Greg Faith. So I'm looking forward to that. He thought I might um, enjoy. Oh yeah, that. he's a good uh, he's a good speaker. He's on a lot of the um, air disaster shows, giving opinions and things like that nowadays. Excellent. If I'm thinking of the right person. Yep, you are. Mm-hmm. I think he uh, definitely has that on his uh, resume. So I'm um, looking forward to uh, seeing Peter in Daytona Beach next Friday. And oh, ding 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 ding! We talked about this uh, a few episodes back where there are so many great books out there for all of us aviation geeks to read. And Tiffany decided to uh, be in charge, uh, volunteered to form the APG Library, kind of a reading list of great uh, books, both fiction and nonfiction. And that link is now active. So if you go to the AirlinePilotGuide.com website, you will uh, see that there is a new menu item there. And uh, the APG Library is its name, and that's all Tiffany. She's in charge of that. And there's a, a email link to uh, get in touch with Tiffany if you have some suggestions for uh, some more books that might be appropriate for the APG Library. So thank you very much, Tiffany, for that. Big round of applause. And speaking of a big round of applause, I'm uh, noticing in my peripheral vision that there is another video thumbnail uh, on the screen, and it looks like it might be. Motorcycle riding, party boat skipper, barbecue master, bourbon scotch vodka, every liquor you can think of, connoisseur and captain for a major U.S. legacy airline. Captain Dana. Well, now, good morning, everybody. Can you hear me? Yeah, we oh, can. Great. Hey, I'm trying this uh, little remote setup up here in the wonderful town called Boston, which, of course, the the uh, the pontoon boat is named after. So figured I'd join in and say hello. I'm up here with the, for a family event this week. And... And I actually saw the inside of an airplane this week. Really? Uh, the cockpit? Yes. Oh. I did see the inside of a cockpit. Wow. It made me so feel you... really uncomfortable. <laughs> what kind of um, airplane was it? An Airbus 321. <laughs> ah, <laughs> certainly yeah. wasn't. So not the aircraft that you wasn't. currently fly. <laughs> ah, the magic airplane. The magical airplane. Yeah, so they it can do it all itself. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, it was uh, quite an enjoyable, uh, enjoyable uh, cockpit uh, jump seat ride, and the the crew was uh, quite enjoyable to converse with. And they they were Minneapolis based, and uh, there was an uneventful flight up into the uh, Boston area until uh, the 
the briefing, and that was fun to watch because, well, they had to brief two different runways and two different two different arrivals because, well, the transition on the arrival, uh, depending on which runway you come into, into Boston is quite different, and uh, more specifically the uh, transition altitudes. So it was uh, it was fun to watch all that, and it's been a while since I've seen seen the operation or the airport or an airplane, so it was kind of nice. Excellent. So I trust you're having a good time uh, there with all of your family, your in-laws, yeah, I guess? Yeah, um, actually in the back wall right here, right behind me, that's a pic, my wife and I's wedding picture on my uh, mother-in-law and father-in-law's wall. And Last night was uh, quite an enjoyable evening, went out for some Italian food. There was uh, 30, 32 of us, 33 of us went out. We we're actually up here for a family event called a bat mitzvah. Small group. Small group. Small group. So... A bat mitzvah. Uh, bat that's mitzvah. Uh, for a female, right? Female, that's correct. So uh, I've got a chance to visit with uh, a lot of my uh, friends up here. Uh, I have a few minutes of lull here before I uh, head out to go meet up with my half-brother for lunch and his beautiful bride. And then this evening to the actual bat mitzvah. So, so which I've half been, uh, is he? Is it the upper half or the bottom half? What? <laughs> Okay, let me. I need some help here. There we go. There's the rim shot. He said not, it was a half brother, so David, I didn't know which David, half. In your defense, it was not a very good joke. It wasn't. It was bad. <laughs> it was like, just huh? like, just like one of the jokes that bombed in the last episode that I cut out. By the way, <laughs> that's the uh, that's the advantage of being the person that edits the audio. That was so great. Please yes. leave that in, though. That was great. What? My what? my younger half. I have two. I have two younger halves. I have a half brother and a half sister. You put them together, I guess you have a whole. Yeah, mm-hmm. sister That'd be and brother. I only have a half sister. Hmm. That makes the counting awkward, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, anyway, I, I do apologize for the uh, bad humor. That but was, that's why I'm here. <laughs> no, <laughs> that's why you get paid the big dollars to be oh, the yeah. lead. Yep. All right. Well. So, um, any yeah. uh, any plans to uh, head back to Atlanta or maybe? Go back to work sometime, anytime in the future. Yeah, I'm on call starting on Tuesday. Oh, excellent, excellent. For three days, but I was I was reading the crew resources note this morning, and it uh, looks like we're continuing to be overstaffed. November is uh, about half the amount of flying that we do in the summer schedule, so they continue to say they're going to have a lot of reserves. I actually may have to go to the simulator to uh, get current on my landings because I'm about to expire. <laughs> I've wow. never had that happen in my entire career, Oops. ever. <laughs> so we'll see. I mean, it's it's. I'm not going to lie. I'm I'm enjoying the the downtime and and uh, you know uh, I do miss the flying. Everybody. I mean, of course, I left uh, the the uh, real world of work to become an airline pilot so that I could actually fly airplanes. But after 15 years of doing it, it's kind of a nice break. So I'm taking full advantage of it. Yeah, I don't think there's anything wrong with taking a little uh, just extended sabbatical. Uh, sabbatical. Yeah, sabbatical. There we go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a very religious yeah. experience. Very much so. So, but okay. uh, I figured I'd join in for just a few minutes, not to steal anybody's thunder. I just wanted to say hello because missed uh, last week's show and uh, missing a good portion of today's show because of well other commitments. All right. Well, uh, as I said, we all miss you, but we look forward to hearing back from you on our next show. And thank you for turning the uh, phone 
into landscape mode. That makes me happy. Is that much better? Yes. A lot better. Oh, now now you look like everybody else's picture. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. But, hey, look, you're looking good. And um, have have fun up there in Boston. And if you want to just hang out for a little while longer, you may. We're going to just move on with the show, if that's all right. Uh, of course, it's all right. Yes, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hang out for a little while. Let's see what time is it right now. Um, why does this thing allow me to see the time? On my, It's five past 11. Okay. Yeah, I've got some time. I'm going to hang out for a while. Okay. Very good. Anything else, crew, that we should uh, mention before we move on with uh, the coffee fund? Uh, not here. I don't think so. All right. Then let's do that. Johnny, how much more coffee? No, thanks. I love coffee. I love tea. All right, that's the Jeff Smith who uh, sings the Java Jive, and we always have that running in the background when we talk about our coffee fund and our awesome coffee fund cadre. Those are the people that support us financially. And if you want to join the coffee fund cadre, uh, just listen at the end of this little segment, and we'll tell you how to do that. We have a couple different ways, uh, the Classic Fund and the Patreon uh, way of contributing. Uh, Frank Heyman uh, contributed via the Coffee Fund Classic method. Thank you, Frank. And we have a new producer. Well, before we talk about our new producer, our current producer, Fabian, he doubled his contribution from one to two dollars. So thank you, Fabian, for that. Obviously, he's rolling in the dough now as an airline pilot. <laughs> well, we do uh, appreciate Fabian very much. Fabian very much played his feedback on our last episode, and we have a new senior executive producer. That is the top tier, the top level. So uh, his name Jacob Oldenkamp, and he joins the three others in that top tier: Rodrigo. Keiko and Lucas Diamond, the Flying Kiwi, and Asa are men. And uh, so welcome, Jacob, to the Coffee Fund. And thank you so much for taking on that uh, that top tier. So I think that deserves a big round of applause. And perhaps even a fanfare. We do appreciate that. That's $20 each episode. That's a lot of a lot of moolah, but thank you very much for your support, Jacob. And one of the things I always do when somebody signs up for that level of contribution is I send them a quick email back and say, now, I just want to make sure that you understand what you decide up for, <laughs> because, uh, you know, sometimes people misunderstand and they think when you become a patron, a patron via Patreon, huh, let me try that again, a patron via Patreon, kind of uh, confusing, isn't it? Um, people think that that contribution is for the whole month and no, it's for one episode and we usually do four to five episodes per month. So that gives you an idea of the commitment that, uh, these folks make. So we do appreciate that. And again, as we always say, if you don't have the financial resources to contribute financially, that's okay because this thing is free. Um, it was intended to be that way and, uh, and it'll be that way forever into the future. And uh, we just appreciate it when people support our efforts uh, for 
offsetting costs of hosting both our website and media files, our um, equipment costs that we have. You know, we just recently upgraded some equipment and uh, also for helping us offset some of the costs of the many meetups that we do around the world. So again, thanks very much for all of your great contributions, the Coffee Fund Cadre. And you can learn about how you can contribute as well by heading over to AirlinePilotGuide.com slash coffee. Okay, I think now it's time for us to move on to the news. Stand by for news. We're going to start with an update on a fatal crash at the downtown Greenville airport last week. And we have a little bit of audio to play. Let's start with that. And tower, 114 Tango, 2500, 5 out. November 114 Tango Delta, runway 100, Okay, that was the incident, accident aircraft uh, getting clearance to land. Six pop in her left hand holding pattern and uh, stay there, don't call me until further advice. November one one four Delta up. One four Tango Delta Greenville, you up. Four two, are you anywhere listening? Anybody on ground frequency listening, please respond. Airport Air Force Say it again. Go ahead. I got any uh, personnel and vehicles on the radio? Not that I hear. One four Tango Delta. Good day, Ground Challenger five two six two. Ready to taxi. Challenger five two six two. Green ground unable. I got a Falcon that just went off the end of runway one nine. Or you're going to have to uh, you're going to have to wait, sir. Uh, no worries, sir. Uh, any expectations, sir? Should we? Shut down, or should we wait? Under five two six two, I would say shut down. Okay, would you please leave our clearance open, sir? No, we will shut down. I will come. Airport three affirmative. I don't see where you're at, but proceed out of Alpha three on the runway one hundred and head down there. I'm at the runway park. Headed that way, sir. Center five. If you're up, proceed Alpha five onto the runway one hundred and head down that way. Alpha five one nine. Head down there. Just center five. Six six Papa, I have an emergency. I have two options for you. I'll land you on ten two eight, and you can come to the ramp, or you're going to have to go to another airport. Six Papa, set yourself up on a straight in the runway ten two eight. I got a vehicle crossing right now, and then I'll get you down. Runway. Uh, look at the wind. The wind's two zero zero six. Does ten work for you? At ground station one hundred, Charlie Juliet. Six six Papa, make a. Uh, Left turn, please, back to runway one zero, and you're clear to land runway one zero. November zero, Charlie Juliet, uh, you're going to be unable to depart right now. I have an emergency. Uh, if you will shut it down, it's going to be a few minutes. Okay, we'll call you back. Thanks. Just center five ground. Center five ground. 
As of approaching, I believe they're off the runway. Uh, I came close, but as of now, they're off the runway. Roger. Call me on the cell phone when you get down there, because your radio probably won't work, but I need to know the status, and I got the fire department on the way. Go down to the end of the runway, please. Call on ground, you stepped on another one. Everybody stand by and hold your... Joe, if you're on the radio, stop your car right now. Stop, 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 stop. Everybody stop and stand by and hold your position. 66 six, Papa, Fable, turn left, Charlie 2. 66 Papa, taxi number. Airport 1, are you up on the radio? Yeah, we're here, waiting. Airport 1, proceed out Alpha 5 on the 119 down to the end. Airport 1, Roger. Copy. Mr. Five, I ain't copied anything you said. They are off the runway. They are off the runway in the embankment. Engines are running. There are emergency response vehicles down there, and are the people on or off the plane? Do you see any people? Emergency response is on site. Roger. Airport, where are you up? I am. I'll give you a call. I'd like to close the aerodrome. Can you tell me yes or no? Yes. Thank you. Greenville Ground, Airport 1. Uh, Airport 1, go ahead. It's really dust. His engine is still running. Uh, the cockpit is separated from the fuselage, uh, and there are injured people that I'm uh, watching now. But I cannot hear when I get outside because the jet is so loud, so I'm in my car. Airport 1, Roger. That's fine. We're closing the uh, airport down there. Airport 1, Roger. Wow. So that kind of gives you an idea of how that situation uh, evolved and how serious things got very, very quickly. And uh, obviously, uh, to recap, the Falcon 50 landed and then continued off the end of the runway. And as uh, Steph mentioned last episode, there really is not much beyond the overrun. It goes down a pretty steep embankment into a perimeter road and perimeter fence. Yeah. On the other end of the, the same runway, there is an EMAS, like an emergency. Uh the uh, arresting material to stop because I think on the other end, it's actually the, the uh, one of the interstates or the interstate loops on that side. But on the other side, it's a smaller road, but there is a little embankment that you would go down before you get to the road. Now you heard that one airplane was in the uh, traffic pattern and he immediately told that person to go hold because he needed to get uh, in control of what was happening on the actual airport grounds. And then he coordinated for this guy to come in and land on the other runway, the crossing runway. But at the same time, he has all these emergency vehicles uh, responding to this. And uh, he basically told everybody to go, you know, do whatever they had to do. And I may have forgotten that this guy's coming in to land. And that's when he very excitedly said, stop, 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 stop. So apparently there was almost a, another accident or incident uh, well, involving... It's a good um, example kind of a task saturation there, you know, where he's trying to take care of a lot of things all at once. And, you know, I'm not going to second guess what he should have done in that instance, but it's just, it's a good, I think we can all listen to it and say, yeah, there's probably different ways to handle all of that, but that's what happens when something unexpected happens and you're not anticipating it and a lot of things have to happen in a hurry. Was he likely to have been alone in the tower? Yes. I, I think he yes. was. Yeah. So, I mean, it's just a classic situation of uh, all hell's breaking loose, and he's got so many balls to juggle that uh, it's hardly surprising he only dropped one. 
And then, well, as we yeah. mentioned, go ahead, Dana. I was going to uh, put in that I just spoke to my buddy, uh, who's a corporate pilot, happened to be in in uh, Greensville, Greenville, and watching this whole thing happen. Uh, wow. So he gave me a, a unique perspective on what he observed um, in the uh, in the aircraft and why or how it ended up in that scenario. Apparently, it was a pretty hard landing, bounced landing, and then put the aircraft down. It's a fairly, not a very short runway, but a fairly short runway. Um, and then the, apparently he was aerodynamically breaking the aircraft, and then it went off the end of the runway. Now he he told me some things. I don't necessarily believe it, but I I, I don't know. I can't substantiate it, so it might be a rumor. But that the pilot uh, flying was actually not type rated in the aircraft. Is this? Did you guys hear this? Yeah, that was what I was just about to mention. Um, yeah, was not type rated. He was an SIC pilot, and then the person in the right seat was just a private pilot not even instrument rated. Right. So, um, and then they both succumbed and the people in the back uh, survived, but that's what he told me. That was his eyewitness account to what happened to the aircraft. It was, uh, not a good scenario, obviously not a good outcome. Right. Uh, when I, when I heard this little piece of information, which is huge, I was flabbergasted that, Again, just to recap, John Christian Caswell, who was operating the airplane as the captain, the, the pilot in command, was only certified to fly the Falcon 50 as second in command or the co-pilot. And then the person acting as co-pilot, Stephen George Fox, only had a private license, not even an instrument rating. So basically, his status was not really much more than just a passenger uh, occupying the right seat of a Falcon 50, which all of it was against all the regulations. Mm-hmm. You know, there's uh, that's the unsettling question of whether because the information about him being having a second in command um, uh, license for the Falcon 50 comes off of the FAA database. And sometimes that can lie behind. So if he had gotten his PIC qualification, it could be out there potentially. So I think there's I, I haven't I mean, I've not been watching the news as closely this week, but that was the last I saw was maybe there was still some question as to whether that was possible. Well, the um, news agency asked if uh, when we asked if those pilots could have been granted new certification on the day they were traveling the faa airman certification inquiry center said all certification updates are loaded onto the faa website daily to show any changes in pilot certifications so turns out like no yeah Yeah. no so wow Uh, you know and and i just Obviously, an unfortunate circumstance. And when you know, my buddy told me, you know, he was an eyewitness to the whole thing and saw it. He was one of the he flies a uh, a Lear, and he was on the ground there and watched the whole thing happen. Uh, and then he told me that bit of piece of information. Of course, just like Jeff said, I mean, I was I was gas. I mean, really, I mean, what's going on here? But another thing came to my mind, and that is, uh, you know, it is maybe a, a sign. I don't know. Maybe I'm I'm thinking outside the box here. But maybe it's a sign that we're really starting to run into this pilot shortage thing a little quicker than we think because, you know, maybe they're having problems finding people to fly these, you know, corporate aircraft that are actually qualified. So it could be. be. And that's just me just thinking along another line. I mean, obviously, uh, it's a a sad day that that somebody that shouldn't have been flying the aircraft was flying the aircraft and the ultimate outcome was – a tragedy and it just shows you the importance of having proper training and being able to fly a particular aircraft and be integrated in it. 
So it's a travesty experience to counts. The, yeah. the, the passengers thinking that yes. they're flying with fully qualified uh, crew members to fly this right. very sophisticated business jet. Yes. Because it's something that as a, a, a passenger, that's very hard to double check on. You know, if you, you know, it, if the company seems reputable enough and why wouldn't it be here in the United States? Um, yeah, they're not going to ask to look at licenses or certificates or anything like that to make sure the guys up front are uh, up to date and current and qualified. Yeah. Uh, and just as a word of caution to anyone else who's thinking of uh, stretching the rules and getting some uh, flights when they shouldn't, uh, just bear in mind that uh, the litigation against the estate of the deceased pilots, uh, whether they died or not, it would have been the same. Uh, they probably would have been financially ruined. Um, and uh, it puts their families in a terrible position. It does. And the fact that uh, I'm sure the insurance agency, the insurance company, will probably say, no, we're not going to pay a thing because you didn't, you know, you violated all of these rules that, you know, we yeah. require for the the safe, proper operation of this jet. Yeah. Yeah. You, you violated the premise of the fact that you have to have qualified pilots in the airplane flying the aircraft. Yeah. You, know, you violated the FAR. So that's it. So on that note, guys, I got to run. Okay. It's great seeing everybody. Nice see you, to see you, Dana. Bye, Dana. Have a great show, everybody. Enjoy All right. We'll see you family. next week. See you. Hopefully. Bye-bye. Okay. Well, it was good that Dana joined us uh, with that little bit of extra um, input from yes. a friend. Yes. Very timely. Very timely. All right. Well, um, we'll, again, keep our eyes and ears open for any updates regarding this uh this tragedy at Greenville downtown. I hope that the, I still don't, I'm not sure Steph. you know, you were, well, you haven't been in at home all week. I'm just wondering if you'd heard any updates as far as the, uh, the two passengers that were critically injured. No, I haven't, but I'll, um, I'm sure I'll get more up to date on news and stuff and get back into, uh, all my different networks and stuff like that over the week or the remainder of the weekend into the early part of next week. So hopefully for the next show, I'll have some information on that. Okay. Very good. Let's go to no. I don't want to update Evernote at this time. Thank you very much. I'm yes, in the middle do. of the show. Yes, you do. <laughs> <laughs> okay. EasyJet enters into new partnership with Virgin Atlantic. EasyJet has today announced that it has signed up Virgin Atlantic as a new airline partner to its unique connection service worldwide by EasyJet. This means that from today, EasyJet customers can seamlessly connect through London Gatwick Airport between EasyJet and Virgin Atlantic flights. So uh, does Acme Red fly um, into Gatwick, uh, Captain Nick? Uh, yeah, yeah we're, yeah, we're one of the many airlines that fly into Gatwick. So, uh, and we have heard about this. So, mm -hmm. But all we know is that we now have a sort of hand-holding agreement um, or Virgin does anyway with uh, Easy, so that uh, the Easy passengers can easily transfer to uh, um, the Virgin uh, jets and uh, carry on uh, uh, around the world. I guess it's you know it's it's the short haul um, connector that will um, match up with the long haul carrier. And uh, from that point of view, I think both companies will benefit. Um, but uh, I think they're they're. 
I mean, it's a lim limited join-up, I believe. I don't know if you can check your bags all the way through um, or even ticket all the way through, but it's in its early days, so I'm sure that will become clear eventually. Well, Neville Bounds in our chat room uh, has just announced that uh, they're going to change the name now to Easy Virgin. <laughs> well, interesting. Is it yeah, interesting that, marketing? that only yeah. works for one flight, I think. And after that, <laughs> you have to think of a new name. Very clever play on words there, sir. Yeah, so it seems like a win-win situation for both airlines. Well, absolutely. I, you know, I'm glad if, uh, that if uh, this airline was to join up with a low-cost carrier, it would be easy because uh, I think they're well-respected in the industry. Well, speaking of low-cost carriers, one uh, seems to have hit a major roadblock. Primera Air uh, has gone out of business, has ceased flying, and thousands were left stranded as this airline failed. Uh, in 2017, Primera Air announced an ambitious program of flights from Stansted and Birmingham to New York, Boston, Washington, and Toronto as well as destinations in Spain and elsewhere in Europe. But before operations had even begun, Primera Air upset thousands of passengers by dropping a number of routes and then announced it was abandoning Birmingham completely. Primera blamed various late deliveries from Airbus of new A321 jets and weak demand. <laughs> Probably the latter more of a Yeah, blame, blame everyone else except for your own business. Yeah, it was That's Airbus's why. fault. That's why. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, the collapse comes on the eve of the first anniversary of the failure of Monarch, uh, which uh, Nick and Al covered uh, extensively in the last two plane tales. And yeah. sadly, I guess there were a lot of personnel that were from Monarch that had uh, signed on with Primera Air, and now they are facing the same situation all over again. Yeah, I know. Isn't that dreadful uh, to have lost uh, have two airlines drop out from under you uh, inside a year? Uh, it's just uh, awful luck. Um, but, uh, you know, that is always the risk with a startup airline. Uh, you know, the average length of an airline is uh, sort of five years. So if you average it out with the very uh, the long established airlines, uh, it means that uh, some of these airlines are going to disappear very soon after they started because they just didn't get their sums right. Uh, very sad, very sad indeed. Um, and also because this was basically an Icelandic airline, I understand that's where it sort of had held its headquarters and its books were run from. Um, the protections that uh, the United Kingdom give to uh, passengers of a UK airline, which meant that when Monarch went down, um, all the thousands of passengers that were stranded overseas were bought back to the UK um, by the Civil Aviation Authority at no cost to the passengers. It just didn't happen um, for uh, uh, Primera passengers. There's no protection. And so they were left uh, stuck overseas. Now, I know a lot of air airlines that did go to the destinations they were at tried to help out. And certainly I understand that a lot of the uh, workers, the crew members, uh, got back to the UK okay. But um, the uh, <laughs> oh, like a musical accompaniment, that's very nice. <laughs> Sorry, um, I the, the, <laughs> try and mute that. It got very noisy out there between birds and sirens. Uh, yeah. 
the uh, the passengers sadly you know there are probably too many for them to have been able to uh, do a lot but uh, many of them will have to buy a fresh ticket to get home yeah neil in the uh, chat room says that he thinks that wow um which i believe is another icelandic based airline uh, stepped in Correct. and brought cabin crew back yeah, I think it depended what airlines were operating to which routes where the the crews were stuck. I know several airlines that, uh, uh, you know, made empty seats available to the stranded crew to get them home. And uh, I know there were a lot of kind of kind offers uh, from our um, listeners um, who were in touch with Captain Al, saying that if the if he knew of anyone uh, that was stuck, then uh, they you know they would put their houses um, and make their houses available, let them come and have a meal with them and a shower. I don't think that was necessary in the end, but it was great to see our listeners uh, taking uh, a lovely attitude towards the um, the awful circumstances that these people found themselves in. Yeah. Our aviation community is uh, pretty awesome, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. It really is. Okay. Well, our thoughts and prayers go out to all the employees of Primera Air, and we hope that you'll land on your feet and hit the ground running and resume your career in aviation. Absolutely. Uh, next item, an incident, a Delta 767-300 at uh, John F. Kennedy, New York, uh, rejected a takeoff when they were accelerating uh, because of a discrepancy or disagreeing airspeeds on uh, either side. And they uh, aborted the takeoff. The crew advised that they did not need assistance at the time. And they were ready to return to the gate. The aircraft vacated the runway via taxiway Lima, about 8,900 feet down the runway. Let's see, they were taking off on 1-3 right, which is a very long runway. That's nice. And uh, they taxied via Taxiway Alpha around the terminal complex, and they were near the intersection of Taxiways Alpha and Whiskey when a ground observer notified ground control about flames from the back of the aircraft. Ground control subsequently advised the Delta crew that there were flames from the right main gear, uh, at least a strong glow, and emergency services had already been dispatched. The aircraft stopped near the intersection of Taxiways Alpha and Whiskey, Emergency services foamed the right main gear and put the fire out. Passengers embarked or disembarked via mobile stairs. Yay, Jen. After the fire was put out. <laughs> and uh, so they have a picture here of uh, the fire crews looking at a very badly worn. <laughs> let's see. That would be one, two, three, four, five. Uh, tire number eight and wheel number eight and basically all the. The tire's pretty much gone. It's just the rim. And apparently the the brake must have overheated or maybe the maybe the tire itself failed uh, at some point. But, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's a mess. Toasty. Yeah, very toasty. So, anyway, crew did the right thing. Uh, now, that's one of those things you have to really take in consideration, especially for an, an airplane. Well, all of them, actually. But uh, when you're flying a very large, wide-body, very heavy airplane about to depart and fly uh, a long distance. They're very heavy. And if you reject a takeoff, that's one of the primary things that we think about is, okay, you know, the brakes just uh, were used extensively and a lot of energy now are 
uh, or is uh, in, the, in the braking system and you have to kind of keep uh, an, an eye out for brake temperatures and that kind of thing because this is not an un- unusual thing to happen when you have a very heavy airplane uh, reject at a high speed. Interesting. We don't know uh, why they had a disagreement in airspeed yet. Um, no. We covered one last week where the crew left all the pitot probe covers on, suggesting they did the same here. No. Uh, it would be very unlikely. But um, uh, I'm just curious to know uh, at what speed they thought they rejected at and uh, why that one went wrong. Um, normally, uh, I don't know about you jeff but we have a hundred knot call on our takeoff and that's when we compare air speeds and if there was a major difference at that point that would be when i would reject the takeoff and a hundred knot rejection or by the time you get it actioned perhaps 105 110 it's not uh, a hugely fast it's still pretty fast but it's not hugely fast and that's a long old runway so disappointing that uh, the tires got to such a high temperature it could be that maybe one of the brake assemblies just didn't release when they were supposed to, and maybe they were dragging that brake. I don't know. Yeah. Who knows really exactly what happened there. But I can tell you uh, Delta is a sister airline for Acme, and I can tell you that, uh, uh, like Acme, Delta does not employ the use of the pedo tube covers, as far as I know. So I don't think that that was uh, a, the case here. But it would be nice, you're right, Nick, to know uh, uh, what speed did they reject and, uh, oh, just to let you know that I believe uh, Delta uses an 80-knot call-out, not 100. Oh, right. So uh, even earlier uh, yeah. in the takeoff roll. Right. Yeah, I wonder if it was a bee then that flew down the bee. <laughs> 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 I was going to say, it's all the insects busy making <laughs> little nest. What is so exciting? I'll go there. Check that because some of the rental aircraft I fly sit outside and some have you know, tube covers and some do not. So. Gotta make sure that there haven't been spiders busy building uh, webs yeah. and whatnot in there. Well, you can be sure that at least for the uh, airlines that these these airplanes do fly uh, quite a bit. Uh, they're not yes. sitting on the ramp for days at a time. Usually, I guess there are instances when they do, but yeah. All right, um, this was an interesting one. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. This is your captain, Glenn Quagmire. Uh... We're looking about a four-and-a-half-hour flight time today. Uh, we've got clear skies, good visibility. The temperature in Atlanta is 64 degrees. Uh, the flight's going to be a little longer than we've expected. Uh, we've got some very strong headwinds, giggity. Uh, flight attendants, please prepare for takeoff. So the title of this article, Hey, y'all, passengers don't trust pilots with southern accents nearly as much as Midwestern pilots. And uh, let's see, commercial airline pilots with Texas accents inspire the least amount of confidence in U.S. passengers, according to a study of Americans' travel habits. But the, but the Wisconsin or Minnesota Patois passengers seem to prefer that, don't you know? And also, pilots with Southern California accents were also regarded well, though what exactly distinguishes a SoCal accent is unclear. Now, where was this article from? Probably, yeah, L.A. Times. So I know exactly where they're coming from here. So just to remind everybody, I grew up in Southern California and moved at the age of 13 to Mobile, Alabama. And when I got there, people were saying that I had a California accent. And I said, what? There is no such thing as a California accent. But 
you know, over time when I'd hear people from California, I'd say uh, I'd start hearing what they were hearing. And it's really not an accent as much as it is kind of a, a clipping of uh, it's an accent, the language. So I guess you it would be an, an accent. accent. Yeah. Everyone has an accent. Yeah, that's true. That's very true. So anyway, uh, they surveyed 4,207 Americans, all of whom had flown at least once in the previous 12 months. And uh, the uh, survey was conducted by JetCost, a site that searches and compares low-cost flights and other travel data. 54% of participants said a pilot's accent affected their confidence in his or her ability. And they were asked which accents, if any, would fill them with the least confidence when given a range of English-speaking accents to choose from. So the five least confidence-inspiring accents, Texas, New York, <laughs> don't say the uh, word. <laughs> uh, maybe uh, would you include Baston with that one too? Maybe I don't know. no, because it's it's further down on the yeah. list. Oh, is it? Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, um, yeah it is. Which is is that Eastern New England? I think that's what they're getting at. Well, I oh, don't okay. know. They they that's a weird definition for an accent. Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Now, anyway, how, how many generals fly? airplanes so commercial airplanes because where this general american comes from i don't know <laughs> well that's like newscasters well no they general do. america is the uh captain america and he was promoted several times <laughs> <laughs> he has a great accent <laughs> yes but as the article mentions uh the five most confidence inspiring most confidence inspiring accents were number one upper midwestern at 63 percent Southern Californian at 58%. Woohoo! Uh, Great Lakes at 51%. <laughs> British, number four. Hey, well, yeah. And that's amongst Americans. So yeah. there you go. And then uh, number five, Eastern New England. So uh, looks like uh, Steph, Jeff, Nick, and Dana comes in last. And we're in exactly the right order of the dates we joined the show. Yeah. I'm not sure if I'm considered Upper Midwestern or Great Lakes. Probably just General oh. American now, unfortunately. So just put me in that least confidence-inspiring. No, well, congratulations, never. General. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I thought that was an interesting uh, little I article there. So um, yeah. let's move on to more serious news. Uh, this, which I'm still scratching my head about, uh, really, Um <laughs> Two Antonov aircraft have collided on the ground at Khartoum Airport in Sudan. So I'm thinking, you see that headline, you're thinking, well, they, you know, were probably taxiing or maybe one was pushing back or whatever. And uh, no, <laughs> if you look at the videos, you uh, will see something, again, that I'm not really quite understanding. It appears that um, a collision between two Sudanese Army airplanes on the runway at Khartoum Airport, on the runway, I'll uh, add again, injured eight people, and I'm surprised it didn't kill anybody, actually, if you look at the uh, video footage. The Soviet-era Antonov, Antonov aircraft had landed within seconds of each other when the ac accident occurred. Um, so you look at this, and you see an airplane that has already touched down and is rolling out, and then you see another airplane very close behind it, <laughs> using the same runway, and bouncing and just uh, a horrible landing, probably trying to figure out how to avoid colliding with this airplane that is just ahead of them. And apparently they didn't figure out exactly how to keep that from happening because they did actually collide 
with the airplane in front of them that was still on the runway. So what in the heck is going on here? Well, I don't know. Being military, they may have had an, an in-trail landing procedure or even a formation landing procedure where, you know, one guy uh, landed on one side of the runway, the other landed on the other side, and uh, he dropped back just, uh, you know, in the in short finals to generate some separation. But he made such a hash of the landing that he didn't do any braking at all. Effectively, the front guy rolled out normally, and the back guy is, is kangarooing down the runway, and there's so little contact with his wheels on the runway, apart from the occasional smackaroonie, um, that he just kept on going <laughs> around this other bloke up the backside. So why he didn't uh, go around, I don't know. Go around, did you say? Yeah. You can, you can always go around. So Even I if hear. you're in the Sudanese army. <laughs> right? <laughs> If it don't look right coming down, don't wait until your socks are sliding on the ground. Go around. Which I think we all think would have been a very wise decision. It would have. Indeed. Hmm. All right. Yeah, that sounds plausible to me, Nick, that they were maybe doing some kind of a practice formation landing. Yeah, some kind of tactical approach to get two aircraft in in close form, you know, in, in close succession. That's my, well, that's they, my they were close to each other. I'll say that much. Yes, very. They, they very kissed. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it was a messy kiss. Uh, G. Congress passes the FAA reauthorization, and the bill goes to White House. And we have breaking news from uh, Liz, and she said right before we went on for the recording, uh, she said that she learned that the president has signed the FAA reauthorization bill. So, yay, they've. Got it passed, finally. And, so what's uh, going to change for you guys? Hmm. Well, the big thing, I think, for many of us is the fact that uh, there is no, not going to be any air traffic control privatization, number one. Yep. Uh, number two, we talked about it on early episodes, earlier episodes where uh, there was a major concern that there was a provision in the bill that... Uh, that uh, before it was passed by the House uh, was in there and that they took it out, thankfully, uh, which was the uh, money and funding to go into the research of the possibility of uh, only having one pilot in uh, major cargo aircraft like you know FedEx and UPS. And uh, ALPA and many other groups were strongly against that. And uh, that didn't that was not part of the provision. So that's good. Um, I don't what what else, uh, Steph, any other, well, they, left, they left some good things in, you know, looking at, we talked about NOTAMs the last time, correct? Oh, there's like nothing wrong at, with the NOTAM system. Come on. We're looking at ways of improving NOTAMs. At oh, last. My, I think my headphones are actually going to die. Nick was right. Oh, no. Uh, <laughs> like, <laughs> to go back to the other ones. I also have to plug it, figure out how to plug in my iPad here too. I'm down to 17%. Okay. Anyway, getting back to it, let me finish this one and then we'll, okay. I'll, I'll step aside for a second. Okay. And, uh, what else? Uh, general Aviation Airport funding. Yay, that's good. Mm -hmm. um, designated pilot examiner reform. I'm not sure exactly what that gets into. And yeah, so there, there's good things in it that stayed in it. And the stuff that was questionable to a lot of large groups of pilots was basically taken out. So the legislative process seems to have worked. Yeah, it was a, it was a big uh, thing. And I think it's the first time in quite some time that we've actually had a reauthorization bill uh, passes, yeah. passed and instead of a temporary, mm -hmm. right? So that is good. 
Good, good, good news. So, Steph, you go and get your backup right. pair of... I might have to um, drop the call and come back in a moment. Okay. So well, be we'll back. be looking for you. And Liz says supersonic flights. Oh, yes. Oh, that's yes. right. We, we did talk about that the last time as well, I think. Right. I forgot about it. Boom, boom. Yes. All right. I'll be back. All right. Uh, and let's see. While uh, Steph is gone, we're going to address this uh, last item in the news folder, an update on the... 737-800, the uh, Air New Guinea uh, 737-800 that touched down short of the runway and crashed into the sea in Micronesia, uh, Chuk, C-H-U-U-K. And they said that uh, one passenger, at first they thought everybody was accounted for, and then they said, no, one passenger, one male passenger is missing. And we kind of surmised or thought that perhaps this person had somehow gotten off of the airplane and into some hospital or who know we even surmised that they're that they may have been captured by uh, cannibals of course we were just kidding around uh turns out sadly that uh on october 1st the airline reported that the body of the missing passenger was found by divers as they conducted a another search of uh papa 2 papa x-ray echo and its surrounding area so Sadly, they did actually lose a passenger, uh, one passenger dead on the Air New Guinea Boeing 737-800 that crashed short of the runway. So, Yeah, that's a shame because we were only joking around because we kind of assumed that he would have got off with the other passengers and perhaps he went to a different hospital or uh, perhaps just wandered off into the jungle. But um, no, it's very sad to hear that he died. That's it is. Thoughts and prayers go out to uh, him, his family. Yeah, friends, etc. Tragedy. All right. Well, with that, I, I don't think I skipped anything in there, did I? I think that Liz would be messaging me and telling me that I forgot to cover something. So since I'm not hearing from her, I'll assume that we're good. And it's time for us now to go to our feedback section. Captain. Incoming message. Uh, the first item is uh, something that uh, Robert sent in. And I, I think this is, uh, wait a minute, is this Robert or is this Richard or is this Dick? I can't. That... I have no idea. Anyway, I'm assuming that it's that Robert. Let me check here. See uh, note details. Oh, no, it's Robert Thompson. Oh, it's not the... the nice Robert. Okay. Yeah, the good Robert. Yeah. <laughs> Just kidding. Just kidding, Robert. Fair Baron. Okay, first one uh, from Robert. He sent, is, sent us a link uh, to some new show called Manifest on NBC. And he said, uh, so it's like when I fly on a Delta Mad Dog. Basically, the, the show is about people that were on this flight that left in 2013 and then they flew somewhere, hit some turbulence and then they land and now it's 2018 and five years have elapsed and everybody is going, what? And nobody is aged any more than the length of the, of the flight. But of course, everything else in the world has gone five years into the future. And so I, I, not, I have not looked at this show yet. So I, I can't really say much but about it. But it might explain why you look so young, J. 
Jeff. Yes, because I'm flying an, an airplane that is uh, frozen in time. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll uh, we'll put a link to this in the show notes so you can watch the, uh, I guess it's the trailer or the teaser for Manifest. Oh, was that Manifest? Yeah. Sorry, Have you seen I it? Totally missed that. Yeah, I've actually watched the first two episodes. Oh, so um, tell us, Beth, what do you think? Yeah, so I actually really like it. It's not so much about the, you know, it, it centers around this aircraft that kind of got lost in time for five years. Um, so the effect of the passengers was that no time at all had passed, but they somehow landed five years after the time when they took off. Um, and then it goes down all this like psychological thriller type of stuff, which I think is really fascinating. I watched the last episode and I almost had nightmares afterwards. Cause I'm not used to oh, really? Time. Yeah, it was a little, little intense, to be honest. Okay. But now I'm like hooked. I got to watch and see what happens next because I because I don't know why the things that are happening are happening. They've left, you know. I'm sure we won't know that for quite a while. Kind of reminds me of like um, what was Lost. that series Lost. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Where things happen and you don't know why they're happening, and you have to right. stick with it and figure it out. Well, I might but, just have to check it out. Yeah, I've actually really enjoyed it. It's the first TV show I've actually felt like I've been drawn into in a long time. So I guess it's kind of like the the whole flight part of it is just the premise on which That's they're the premise building. Of it. it doesn't really have much to do with, at least I don't know yet that it has anything to do with the the aircraft itself. I don't think it does. Just kind of like that movie that with Denzel Washington, you know, flight where, you know, the airplane was just kind of a, a vehicle for the drama of somebody battling alcoholism. Correct. My advice is, you know. I don't think most of the rest of the show is going to have anything to do with the aircraft itself. It's just about the passengers that were on the flight and how they uh, have arrived five years into the future and the strange things that are now happening to them. Yeah. I want to know how this mad dog stayed airborne for five years. Uh, how much fuel do you guys carry? That was not a mad dog. It was oh, a 737, was which is even better for you, I think. Oh, yeah. yeah okay. <laughs> oh, by the way, <laughs> you mentioned um oh wait a minute i think it's your meant you mentioned something in the plain tales which we haven't listened to yet so never mind i'll, I'll bring that up later oh okay you'll forget good yeah i'm sure i will <laughs> okay uh number two frick from south africa he says greetings apg crew during one of my youtube binge sessions i came across this video or these videos on a car channel what do cars and aviation have in common you might ask well the specific videos, uh, this specific video or videos revolve around jet cars and the videos explain how a jet engine works in such a way that even I can understand. I have heard the team talk about high bypass and low bypass, if memory serves, but this was quite an eye opener to put the visual with the explanation. And they gave us the link to this YouTube video. I watched one of these and again, uh, it's uh, these are, um, what, what would you call these cars? Drag racers. Um, uh, there's a better term than I'm using here. They're, um, funny cars. Well, yeah. Like funny cars, but, but they're the, um, the ones that have the, they're really narrow and they're super, super long. Um, I forgot exactly what those things are called, but anyway, instead of a, uh, internal combustion engine powering these things, they have jets and they are using primarily J 85s and also uh, J60s. And the vid the guy that does the video, his channel, they go to this uh, place that specializes in um, procuring these engines and then rebuilding them and making them so, you know, people that want to put them on ground vehicles can use them for propulsion. 
And uh, in that process, they go through the various stages of how they how they rebuild these engines. And at the very beginning of it, they go through all the different stages of the engine itself. You know, the uh, the intake, the compressor section, uh, the combustion section, and even the reheat or afterburning section that they put on. And uh, so it is a it's a kind of a cool way to for somebody that doesn't know much about jet engines to learn how a jet engine actually works. Yeah. What, what's the old thing? Suck, uh, sup, suck, squeeze, bang, blow, right? Yeah. Basically. Okay. Anyway, so we'll put a link in the show notes so you can look at it as well. Again, it's not specifically related to flight, uh, more to drag racers. But uh, anyway, Frick says, thank you for all the hard work that goes into the ABG community. And I look forward to each new episode. Warm regards. Frick Grunwald in Cape Town, South Africa. Thank you, Frick. And uh, Steph has uh, probably done something wrong again there after her. I hear coming the, uh, to take her away. Uh-huh. Coming to take her away. Uh-huh. Yeah, so I, I guess I should say, I didn't really say where I am at the beginning of the show, but I'm at the uh, Chicago Hilton, which is on Michigan Avenue right across from Grant Park. It's a really nice part of the city, but it's also a very noisy part of the city. Uh, I can hear the metro trains which are there's a station right out here just outside of grant park and fortunately they're not super loud right there because they're just coming in and out of the station but they're dinging their bells the entire time it's like ding ding ding, ding. And i'm not tiny. hearing that actually but no. the only thing i'm hearing is the sirens yeah the sirens do come through kind of loud and clear don't they yes and i think that's the hotel that we lay over in when we have a long layover stuff yeah. it's a nice hotel. I, I know there are flight crews from acme that lay over here ah yeah and um, although I will apologize uh, in advance for Pip and his latest plane safety podcast that we recorded at a different location, which was even louder than this because it was very close to the L train. And there mm. were four train lines going by at that particular area. So there was a train like every minute and a half. And <laughs> if you're not familiar with the trains in Chicago, they're on an elevated system that's pretty old and it's very loud. It's so ambiance stuff. Ambiance. It is ambiance. You know, they go by so often you don't even notice. Right. All right. Um, three, Dubai airport water salute goes very wrong. Oops. Yeah, this is um, sent in. Well, who sent this to me? I, I don't have the uh, person that sent this. Hang on. Let me see. Note details. Oh, I know why. Liz, she didn't want us to mention who sent this in. <laughs> Sorry. This is our producer uh, who thought that this might be interesting. And it is. Uh, it's pretty common to see special flights get water salutes. This can be done for many reasons, to celebrate a new route, to honor military members, to commemorate a pilot's retirement, etc. Well, to celebrate the 88th birthday of Saudi Arabia, Dubai Airport decided to prepare a special water salute for a Saudi Airlines flight upon landing a couple of weeks ago. Unfortunately, that didn't go quite as planned, by the way. This is from the One Mile at a Time blog, onemileatatime.com. So, so as you said, unfortunately, that didn't go quite as planned, and there's video of it. You can see the two fire trucks lined up, and the truck on one side sprays water correctly, while the truck on the other side can't seem to control the flow of water, causing it to spray all over the place. Apparently, the way it sprayed water caused the emergency slide of the plane to deploy. How could that happen? I'm not sure exactly, but 
My guess is that the pressure of the water triggered some sensor on the door causing this to happen. I obviously feel terribly for the person who caused this, though I guess we don't know if it was user error or if the jet was malfunctioning, and for any delay this caused for passengers, though I also have to admit that I laughed out loud when I saw this. For what it's worth, many airlines and airports have stopped doing water salutes. Some have stopped them due to water shortages, while others have stopped them due to the mishaps that have occurred as a result of them. It will be interesting to see if Dubai Airport has a new policy on water salutes after this incident. Did you guys see the uh, video? Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it was all going so well <laughs> I know. until one of the guys lowered his water cannon and put a really hard spray directly on the side of the fuselage. And the next minute, boom, out pops the slide. I suspect the pressure of the water just dislodged the uh, door behind which that slide sits. Uh, and once it deployed, the slide popped out and inflated. Uh, so It's a water slide. Yay! That'd be fun. <laughs> It was but, a, I mean, uh, other cock-ups, right? I believe so. Other yeah. cock-ups have involved spraying aircraft with foam instead of water. Yeah, we're not going to be able to fly uh, for a while. Exactly right. Uh, um, a bit of a shame because it's a nice thing to do. But I, I think there was like a, a uh, what do they call that? The first flight, um, like, uh, the word is escaping me now. Like, uh, anyway, the first flight of an airplane into an Tampa. Or huh? the inaugural? Yes, inaugural service or something like that from, uh, I think it was Japan Air, uh, was flying a uh, Dreamliner into Tampa. And I think they had some kind of a water spray uh, going on. And the uh, one of the fire trucks was a little bit too close to the airplane. And I think the winglet of the Dreamliner struck one of the uh, fire trucks or something, or maybe the fire truck struck the winglet. I'm not sure exactly how it happened, but yeah, that was a, uh, Hey, what do you think of us now here at Tampa? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Sam in the uh, chat rooms just brought up exactly that. Uh, okay. Was it, uh, did I get it right? Was it yeah. uh, Japan air? Oh, I didn't say what airline okay. just the seven, eight, seven, uh, ripped the wing tip off. Yeah. Ouch. Yep. <laughs> All right. Um, so I haven't completely lost my mind and memory. So, Anyway, that was very amusing. You, you, you should look at the link that we'll have in the show notes uh, to that YouTube video. Um, Lucas, the uh, one of those guys in that upper tier of the Coffee Fun Cadre, the, also known as the Flying Kiwi, sent this in um, a, a while back, and it somehow escaped the, my, my system for feedback getting into our Evernote feedback folder. And, uh, but I, I found it and salvaged it and it's some audio feedback and he wants us to play it. He says, lock up your airplanes. Flying Kiwi has his ticket again. Be afraid. Here we go. Hey, APG crew. This is, uh, the Flying Kiwi. Um, just touching base. Um, I don't know if you remember, but a while ago I was having some issues, uh, with my medical and, uh, was a bit worried about the punitive measures the CAA were going to deal out to me and, and sort of sought some advice from Dr. Steph. Um, well, it sort of came true. Uh, unfortunately, they uh, had required me to do some fairly draconian things to gain my medical back. Um, a lot of stuff which sort of bemused specialists who said, look, your, your sleep apnea is, is, is not even in the treatable realms. We wouldn't necessarily treat someone with your 
your level of apnea, which is only 8.7, uh, the norm being 5. Um, they said, you know, we would treat people upwards of 20, blah, blah, blah. So I've had to go out and buy a CPAP machine and done the whole thing, and it's very annoying and very restricting and not terribly enjoyable, and I have reporting requirements and all that sort of stuff. But complain, 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 because at the end of the day, I have now a piece of paper that says I have a Class 2 medical, which means I can go flying, and uh, flying I did. So I took myself out the other day, had a great old time, uh, took um, a bit of uh, smart meat in the seat up with me, just to make sure uh, my six months off uh, hadn't uh, completely atrophied my feet. Um, and uh, I tell you what, the guy must have been pretty bored or, or pretty happy because I think he'd just come out of the out of the cockpit with another student who'd done some pretty terrible things on the on the tarmac. Um, and I came in, um, and I proud to say that I was hitting the numbers, as in landing on the numbers and on the centre line. And it was just such a great feeling to have that control to be up there in the air and that kind of freedom and, and all of the things that we know and love about flying. So it's, uh, it's great to be back in the seat. Um, so uh, I've got a big flight planned this weekend, so hopefully that will go well. The weather looks a little marginal, but uh, I'm sure I'll skirt around a few things. I've got a nice big long trip planned, which is great. Um, yeah, so it's, it's, it's great to be back. Um, unfortunately, I have to do a few things that um, have cost me a lot of money. Um, but you know, hey, you know, you pays your money, you you do what you love. So um, I can't complain too loudly, <laughs> although I do feel a little little victimised. Um, just interesting. I've just been listening to the latest uh, APG, uh, the Never Again episode. Um, I don't really have a Never Again episode um, where I was flying. Plenty with other people were flying. Um, because I'm, I'm actually quite a wimp and a, and a very conservative pilot, so I don't go anywhere where it's quite nasty and don't run with a, you know, scud run or anything like that. Um, try and avoid mountainous terrain where I can, although in New Zealand, you know, there's a lot of mountains, a lot of water, and not a lot in between. Um, although I, I would tell you about a, a small cautionary tale, which is about blindly reading back... Um, control instructions <laughs> and pedaling on anyway even though you're sort of thinking what did that, what was that guy talking about um so I, I was approaching um my home airfield from a from a quite an unusual angle um everybody thinks New Zealand runs north to south but it kind of doesn't it sort of tilts um easterly quite a bit so where you think north and where you think south is sometimes doesn't ally with 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 the uh with the DI, and of course, yes, I could have looked at the DI, but I was just sort of assuming and knowing where I was going. And um, I called up for a for a um, for a course across the controlled uh, control zone, uh, expecting that I would get it. And surprise, surprise, I didn't. In fact, I was given a readback which was quite different to what I was used to. Um, it was quite a long readback. I had to really struggle to write it down and understand it. And I was so busy, of course, reading back, making sure I got the clearance right, that I wasn't understanding a word of it. <laughs> I, I had no idea what the guy actually wanted me to do. So I just sat there dumb, sort of thinking, I, I know where I'm going, so I went bimbling along. Um, 
after this chap had given me the uh, the readback and confirmed that it was correct, he um, either went to sleep or or went off to the loo or answered a phone call or something because he disappeared for a wee while and um, came back about, ooh, I don't know, four or five minutes later um, demanding rather loudly what I thought I was doing <laughs> as I had not changed my course a bit um, and was heading directly to my, to my uh, destination, um, thinking that I had gone east of the town uh, which which I hadn't at all. Um, I, I I where I thought east was was completely in the other direction, um, and he then proceeded to make some very very um, quick announcements to another aircraft, who was obviously inbound. Hence my uh, my direction around the control zone. Um, at that point, I looked to the side, and. I have had the biggest cringe I've ever felt in an aircraft under my command to look over and see a very oddly beige um, G700. Um, it was, it was the, the weirdest colour Learjet I've ever seen in my life, and it was huge. It was absolutely massive, and it was filling the rear windscreen. Um, Luckily, the pilot was quite a genial man. He sounded like he was from Texas, and he was taking everything in his stride, and he said, don't worry, I'll just continue where I am, and I'll turn around and come back, blah, 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 blah. Um, to which the uh, controller softened too, thank, thank goodness, because uh, he was pretty mad at me for, for not understanding and following his instructions. Um, because I was most of the way across the control zone at this point, he let me go. Um, but uh, that was my lesson. Um, don't blindly read back your uh, assigned heading without fully understanding what it is the controller wants you to do. And you get trapped into that quite easily because you're so busy trying to make sure that your read back is correct. You're not actually spending the time to understand what he wants you to do. Um, and don't be afraid um, to, to say, hey, look, I, I don't really understand what you want me to do and, and maybe break it down into, into English. Um, but, uh, yeah, that was rather interesting. But, boy, oh, boy, that Learjet was pretty close. <laughs> so that's, uh, that's my little um, I learned from flying from, from that experience. Um, but uh, it's, it's great to be back out there, to be honest. And uh, it, it's... Uh, it's great to be able to tell you guys that I'm that I'm back in the seat. So, uh, yeah, no, no, no new ratings or anything fun like that, or propotency to cap captaincy or, or anything like that. But um, I'm back, baby. <laughs> so uh, I'll uh, probably bore you to death with some more bimbling around in my bug smasher. Um, anyway, uh, tailwinds to you all. Keep the blue side up, and I will too. Uh, flying Kiwis out. Be very afraid. Yeah. <laughs> love but those stories. Those kind of those kind of stories. Yeah, congratulations yeah. for getting the ticket back and I love hearing those kind of stories. Oh, absolutely. Well, I said that the, the feedback there because, you know, as you all know and as everyone who listens knows, we get those kinds of questions all the time about medical issues and what am I going to do and it's just be persistent with it and be honest and take care of the the problem when able and hopefully things all work out for the best and a lot of times usually they do. Yeah. yeah. It was also nice, uh, you know, Lucas is um, uh, one of those in that upper tier. And uh, one of the benefits uh, is that uh, on occasion we get to have one-on-one uh, -on -one hangouts or Skype calls or whatever and uh, had a great time uh, conversing 
with uh, Lucas for um, for quite some time the other night. So it was very enjoyable to get caught up with everything that's going on in the Flying Kiwis life. So, okay. yeah. Okay. Moving on. Chris sent us in something here. He said, uh, why the world is running out of pilots. Okay. This is a link to a video on YouTube and it's a good summary of the issues around the worldwide pilot shortage. And Instead of playing it here on the show, I think it's best because it's kind of long uh, to uh, check it out yourself. So a link to that will be in the show notes. So thank you, Chris, for making us aware of it. Uh, Number six is the future of air travel, Boston to New York in 36 minutes. And this from QZ. Why does anyone want to go to Boston? (laughs) No, they're they're leaving Boston, aren't they? Oh, leaving. Oh, that's okay. They want to get away as fast as they can. Yeah. Although I don't really know why anyone wants to go to Disney. No, I'm just kidding. I love both Boston and New York. Uh, yeah, so yes. do I. Me too. Even the Irish police. Hmm. Must be a story there. Uh, no, no, no. It's just that no. aren't all the police uh, from Ireland in oh, okay. Boston? Gotcha. Yeah. A lot of Irish there. Yes. Yeah. And uh, you better uh, you better walk straight there, young man, next time you're there. Absolutely. Well, I'll just go in disguise. All right, this is from QZ.com. Not sure what that stands for. You're usually looking at something like three hours to get from downtown Manhattan to the heart of Boston, Mass. First, count on a half-hour cab journey to LaGuardia. Then maybe, oh, now we're going from Manhattan to Boston. Okay. Um, Half-hour cab journey to LaGuardia. Then maybe an hour of security clearance and waiting to board. When you finally make it onto the plane, you'll spend 22 minutes taxiing out, 39 minutes in the air, and 7 taxiing in. 10 to 15 minutes to get out of the airport, we're assuming you didn't check a bag. Then another 10 to 15 minutes in a car downtown. Total journey time, about 182 minutes, assuming no delays, traffic jams, or unforeseen circumstances. But it doesn't have to be that way, says Boston-based aviation company Transcend Air. They promise... A new six-seat aircraft that will take you from central Boston to New York. Now we're going back uh, in 36 minutes flat without ever needing to be within sight of an airport. Transcend Air has developed a prototype for an aircraft that says flies like a jet, takes off like a helicopter, traveling at speeds of up to 405 miles per hour. The technology itself is newish, building on craft such as the CL-84 created by Canadair, Transcend's Transcend Air's CEO, Greg Bruel, told Travel and Leisure, we're taking a concept first demonstrated in the 60s and finding a market for it while updating it with the latest technology so that it doesn't cost military scale budgets to build them. So uh, now it goes on to talk about uh, some of the economics of this. Uh, The company believes it can fly passengers from A to B in a fraction of the time of commercial airplanes. Uh, and for a comparable cost, but their figures seem a little off. That 36-minute from flight from New York to Boston is currently set to cost $283. One, uh, most one-way flights between the two cities clock uh, in at just under $100. So while a 55-minute journey between Los Angeles and San Francisco might be worth paying more for, the $315 transcend quote, seems steep compared to the current $120 plane journey. I guess that's on the West Coast, which takes about 100 minutes. 
Uh, so basically saying that, um, oh, you know, but if it's one of these things where people uh, have the money to pay extra to shave that time off, and I'm thinking maybe uh, the uh, business executives that, uh, you know, time is money kind of people That's that uh, are the ones that take those really expensive helicopter rides from um, like in Manhattan from place to place, uh, I would imagine that that would be probably the market and maybe not the market for the people that go traveling on airplanes, you know, at, at bargain basement prices. Yeah. It's, I don't think it's made for people going on vacation. I mean, when you're on vacation, it's nice to have more time, but you're not really worried about that extra, you know, 20 minutes to get, you know, park at the airport, get inside another 20 minutes to go through security. It, it, that doesn't matter so much when you're on vacation, but you know, if you're trying to get from point A to point B between two large cities for business deals and you have several hours to do it in, I think it makes more sense. Although I think we were talking before, sometimes, you know, you wonder about how much sense this makes in the day of video conferencing and Skype and what we're doing here. I mean, none of us are in the same city. We're nope. Having perfectly normal real-time conversation. That's right. Um, good point. And... The, the article ends with Transcend Air says the initiative is, quote, within reach on its website, aiming to launch service in 2024. But the company still has a way to go, including obtaining Federal Aviation Administration certification for the aircraft, which can take years. Not to mention the fact they don't mention here in the uh, article the fact that uh, the restructuring of airspace is going to be required to have these kind of airplanes operating uh, this way. So... Uh, Anyway, just... Uh, yeah, and uh, of course, the one thing you don't get when you are trying to fly uh, not out of a major airport is um, being able to land when the weather's uh, pretty iffy because you yeah. want to try and put it into a regional airport or something uh, without the capability of landing in poor visibility, you're only going to be restricted to fair weather operations. Very true. Very true. All right, uh, we'll move on to the next one. Oh, by the way, the uh, they in in the article itself, it has a picture of the uh, the vehicle, and it looks a lot like those electric vehicles that we see, you know, like the the big giant versions of a quadcopter or whatever. Um, mm -hmm. So we'll see how that goes, I guess. Uh, Robert sent in some feedback for us, and it's video feedback. I'm I'm going to play it, but it's just the audio that you're going to hear. So let's take a listen. Hey, APG crew, I'm uh, Robert, I'm out here in Seattle at the uh, Out and Equal conference and wanted to uh, check in with you guys, especially because of uh, that particular company, uh, Boeing, uh, is out here. Uh, they are hosting uh, the conference here in Seattle this week. Lots of uh, uh, rainbow colors. Also, if I pan over that way, you should see um, American Airlines, Piedmont back there as well. If I, I don't know if they'll let me zoom in. Um, but uh, lots of um, companies out here uh, supporting, uh, you know, equality in the, in the workplace. Uh, you guys have always been uh, supportive um, of the community, uh, you know, taking questions and had discussions on numerous podcasts, um, you know, about, um, you know, these types of issues. So I thought I would say hi, um, especially show some of the, uh, the imagery. I may uh, put a couple of clips and, uh, and videos into a folder for you there. And um, haven't uh, checked in with you in a while, but uh, do listen and, uh, and watch the uh, emails here and there. Hope everybody's doing well. Talk to you soon. Bye. Thank you, Robert. It's always good to hear from him. He always gives us those on-location kind of uh, glimpses into what he is doing with his life. So uh, 
I'm glad you didn't show the video. He was standing by a very large sign, which was making me feel a little unwell. Yeah, that's why I, that's the main reason why I didn't share the video. Yeah, because yeah. Uh, you're, you're a kind man. Health and well-being. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're concerned about, about I mean, everybody's. He's, he's getting up there in age. You don't want to, you know, sudden. No, 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 no strain. No Thank strain, you very yeah. much. Yep. Okay, and I know that's pretty traumatic even talking about it as much as we did. So let's move on then uh, to eight. Albert, um, he says, hi, Jeff and crew. I wonder if you and your team might want to comment on the above link from Wednesday, the 3rd of October, 2018 at around 2030Z when United Airlines flight 839 from Los Angeles International to Sydney flown by a Dreamliner declared a mayday due to low fuel on approach to Sydney, Australia, causing an emergency response involving roads near the airport to be closed as a precaution. And uh, let's see, did I grab some audio from this? I don't think I did. Um, and I don't think it's really necessary to play it because um, he addresses some of the things that the reporter in the video addressed Um well, maybe maybe it should be uh, played. So here, let me open that up and uh, hit the play button, and we can look, listen to this report. Well, uh, this flight, it was a United flight, 839 from Los Angeles to Sydney. Uh, it did declare a mayday on its approach to Sydney Airport this morning, uh, which is a, an emergency. Now, Air Services Australia says that the nature of the, the emergency was basically um, it was low on fuel. It didn't have enough... Uh, to safely get to Sydney with all of the reserves that it would otherwise like to have, because often when you arrive in Sydney, you do a lot of circuits, you're in holding patterns. This plane and the pilots on board felt that they didn't have that luxury, so as a result, they declared an emergency. That then gave them a priority, if you like, from air traffic control to land straight here at Sydney. So there were 239 people on board. Uh, the authorities here, not only at the airport, but in surrounding areas uh, leapt straight to it. Uh, they put a, a traffic control in place around the airport uh, as a precaution. Police, uh, paramedics and, and fire brigade were obviously on standby just in case the worst did occur. But uh, the flight landed without incident uh, and uh, yeah, I think uh, everyone here very glad that uh, even though it, it could have been a, a very serious incident indeed, uh, many of the passengers uh, would have had almost no idea that anything was uh, was wrong at all. Which is the way that you want it to be. Nick, uh, just before I let you go, and it might be too early for this, do we have any understanding yet as to why that um, plane might have been low on fuel? Was it an issue they were grappling with during the flight or perhaps incorrectly fueled at the origin? Yeah, well, all of those factors will now be the subject of an investigation, not only from United Airlines, but quite possibly from uh, US and Australian air safety mm. investigators. Uh, pilots do very, very... Uh, careful calculations based on fuel and, uh, sorry, based on the weight of the aircraft, the number yes. of passengers, the cargo on board, the weather. Um, maybe something went wrong. The other possibility is that the weather was so adverse, they may have been facing such extreme headwinds uh, that this caused an issue. Usually they would have quite a lot of reserve, enough reserve for probably at least an hour or so. Clearly yeah. they felt that they, they didn't have that. So uh, the reason for this potential uh, you know, lack of fuel will be the subject of investigation, and that may take uh, several weeks or months. Interesting. 
Uh, this is from, I guess, their ABC affiliate, but it's on the Sydney Morning Herald website, uh, the newspaper. So I was thinking, I don't think I've ever seen a video report from a newspaper, but I guess there there must be some affiliation between the ABC affiliate and the um, and the Sydney Morning Herald. But anyway, so there you go. There's the uh, news item. The United Airlines flight um, issued a Mayday alert. Now I'm not sure. You know, they actually said mayday, mayday, mayday. They probably said we're declaring a fuel emergency or perhaps maybe even just a a minimum fuel call. Um, But um, let me go back over here to the question from Albert. Uh, He said, just some questions based on reports by the uninformed media. Uh, First thing he asks, is this an automated mayday generated by the plane or do the pilots initiate it? So there, the reporter said that this was an automatic thing. And I think what he means is that when you think you're going to arrive at your destination below minimum or emergency fuel, it's uh, you are compelled to declare the low fuel state. So in that way, it's an automated, but it's not like something just on its own makes some kind of a mayday call. So that's... Uh, the, the terms that they used to describe what happened in this situation, I think, were probably not the right term to use. Yeah, um, it was slightly ambiguous, wasn't it? Yes. Well, you know, we understand that you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's going to be automatic for the pilots to say that we are declaring minimum fuel or emergency fuel. Well, they, they're going to use Pan and Mayday because they're Australian. Well, actually, okay. they should use Pan and Mayday because they're in Australia, but of course they're uh, American, American pilots. pilots. American. So they, they may not have worked that one out. I bet they didn't say Mayday, but, you know, maybe they did. Um, well, we have a requirement in our company procedures if we uh, uh, are going to use or, or go down to or below our final reserve fuel, we're obliged to use the term Mayday. Okay. To indicate the seriousness of our fuel situation, uh, and ensure we get absolute priority. But uh, in fact, funnily enough, I was discussing this with the controllers at this controllers training down at Stack Day because uh, they uh, were asking. A guy got diverted really bad crosswinds, ended up very short of fuel trying to get to his diversion airfield. In the end, he had to declare an emergency to get priority. And, uh, and he had to com- change that because of his low fuel state to a mayday. And the question was, um, you know, uh, how many aircraft would you let land in front of this guy when he's diverting to a single runway airport? And uh, at what point would you um, sort of sterilize that runway and not let anyone land on it? And it was an interesting discussion because there's nothing actually written down as to what they should do. It's down to the controllers and the situation to assess that. Um, generally speaking, it seemed that around 15 miles was the point at which you would stop landing other aircraft on. But um, some people think, seem to think it ought to be further. But there you go. It was a good decision, uh, discussion, I should say. But in this case, uh, yeah, when you get down to your final reserve, your final 30 minutes of fuel, a mayday is completely appropriate uh, and because it ensures that nothing gets in your way and prevents you from landing because you may be so low on fuel that you don't have the fuel to go around. You have to make that next landing or bust. So um, We've listened to audio before from situations where it's not clear that it is an emergency, you know, a mayday type emergency. 
and uh, you know, I think I'm thinking of several different instances that I'm kind of combining together in my head at the moment, but um, it can get very, you can hear where it gets tense in those situations for the flight crew when the controller is not understanding that it's an emergency, that they need priority, that they can't be vectored around and given holding patterns and things like that. Yeah, it it I I I still despair a little that our two um, versions of air traffic terminology or flying terminology have drifted so far apart in this. Yeah, I think it should. You know, there should be an effort made by the FAA and the and ICAO and other regulatory agencies around the world to say, look, let's just make this the same, no matter where we are in the world. Yeah, just I'm kind of surprised they haven't already. I mean, you know, because we do. You know, the reach of everybody uh, is so far nowadays. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, so, you know, he says, at what point is a low-fuel mayday made? And I can only speak for um, ACME. Uh, we have um, tables uh, that have figures for all of the different fleets. And one of the columns is minimum fuel and one is emergency fuel. And if any time you calculate that you're going to be arriving at the destination airport with less than either of these things, either minimum fuel or emergency fuel. That's when you declare it and let the people know, again, if it's minimum fuel, that means that uh, you need, you would, you're, you're requesting some priority handling, maybe not the same kind of priority handling you would get if you declared a mayday or an emergency, but uh, things are getting close to, the minimums, or, or actually you think you're going to land with minimum fuel or just under it. Um, and the same thing with the emergency fuel figure. And uh, anytime you're you're down to that point, it's a very stressful situation. And uh, it is very, as Steph just mentioned, it is so imperative for pilots to make sure that that is communicated because there have been some tragedies. Uh, what was it, a Columbia, Columbian uh airliner that crashed at 707. Kennedy 707. Yeah. 707. Yeah. It was a plain tale if anyone wants to look yeah. that one up. But uh, yeah, I ran out of fuel uh, having been held for so long and unable to communicate through the only person on the flight deck that had a reasonable grasp of English with the controllers to their fuel state. They went around from one approach because it was so poorly flown. And in their attempts to get round to the next approach, they ran out. Yeah. Well, fuel. yeah. I believe everybody died on that as well. Yeah, very sad. Horrible. Um, so he uh, continues, uh, in this situation, could the pilot still successfully execute a missed approach? Well, I believe that emergency fuel should uh, be enough for you to get to the destination and perhaps perform you know, a, a miss and uh, an immediate return to the runway, but maybe not. I don't, there are no guarantees in aviation. Um, no, once you've got that, those really low levels of fuel sloshing around in the tanks, it's quite easy when you put on a lot of power to do a go-around that uh, the fuel moves away from the point at which you suck it out of the tank. Now, you should have collector tanks, depending on the type, which will be uh, reasonably full and feed the engines, but at full power, those empty pretty damn quick. So, uh, yeah, it, it is possible to um, starve the... Uh, engines of fuel when you do a go around even though there's some left in the tanks just because the it drifts to the back of the tank when you pull the nose up in a go around exactly he continues should the airplane still be able to make it to an alternate airport should a last minute event close sydney airport uh no <laughs> you're 
you're beyond, well beyond the uh, reserve fuel, you know, uh, point at this point. Yeah. How serious would an event like this uh, be in reality? Is the media just blowing it out of proportion? I don't think so in this case, believe it or not. It's no, no, I serious. think if, if the guy declared a mayday, then then yeah. that's it. You know, he's uh, down to the last knockings and uh, get everyone out of his way. Let him uh, put the thing safely on the ground. Um, he did ask us to why he thought uh, they got into that situation. Uh, it's a damn long leg uh, over all over the ocean from uh, where they took off from, from L.A. to get to Sydney. And there's no real intermediate diversion. I, I mean, if you'd realize early enough, you can crank left and go to New Zealand. And there are possibly some other options uh, way earlier in the flight. But as you're getting towards your final destination, you're more or less committing to it. Uh, if you know something happens, bit of holding, or if you're really tight and have decided to go to uh, uh, commit to Sydney because, say, um, New Zealand weather is, is too poor to take the risk, then uh, you really are, you know, you're, you're a bit, uh, it's a bit of a worry, but because there's, there's nowhere else to go. Yeah, I mean, once you're past, like, what is it out there? I don't even know. Samoa, Tonga and Samoa have reasonable airfields. But Fiji, right, is out there. But those, mm -hmm. you know, even that is a long ways away from Sydney still. Yeah, I, I, I've never flown the Pacific. Obviously, the Atlantic's slightly different kettle of fish. We've got, uh, you know, uh, Iceland and uh, Lash is more or less halfway. But uh, no, across the Pacific, you're, you're really tight for uh, alternative airfields to land en route. That is so true. I was kind of surprised that they closed major roads around the airport as a precaution. Um, never heard of that before, but... Uh, no, neither have I, but unless, of course, they're really concerned that, uh, you know, uh, you're going to drop it into the undershoot if you're short of fuel, um, in which case, yeah, it would be a sensible move, I guess. Yep. Okay, well, uh, a 60 Minutes reporter Liz Hayes was on board the plight, uh, but told her nine news colleagues she was completely unaware that there had been an issue with the plane. Uh, this is the first time I'm hearing about it on the way out the front door, a passenger from another flight told Nine News. Everyone was calm. No panic. No announcement. I can't explain it. Well, you know, what would be the point <laughs> of telling everybody, oh, you know, hey, just to let you know, uh, we may not have enough fuel to make it to the uh, destination. <laughs> I'm not, <laughs> not sure what that. good that would do. <laughs> oh, God, Lord. Insight yeah. panic, I think, right? Yeah. No. Yeah. Well, Albert, I hope we answered your questions. And uh, thanks for pointing out this uh, this incident. And again, that's Albert, and he gave me a phonetic ex, uh, pronunciation uh, guide. Alcosiba. Alcosiba. I don't know where the accent goes there. All right. Uh, I think it's time now for the best part of the show, which, of course, everybody knows is the old pilot's plane tales. Mm -hmm. The fearless flying Columba Livia Domestica. The old pilot's plane tales. The Fearless Flying Columba Livia Domestica. I recently met some listeners, the lovely Vernon and Ruth, who were over from America to visit friends, and I took them to the delightful Bluebell Pub in Emsworth on the south coast of England. Eyeing up the local beers, my attention was grabbed by the real ale pump clip, 
bearing a sign for the Emsworth Brewery Golden Gustav Ale, a light summer handcrafted real ale, 4.6% alcohol by volume. The pump clip depicted a brave Dickin medal-winning member of the Royal Air Force doggedly battling through a cluster of fighter aircraft and dodging bullets whilst on a mission vital to the war effort. And so, by the most tenuous of links, I was drawn into the world of the RAF's Pigeon Service and the role that they played in helping us win the Second World War. Whilst we often hold the pigeon rather low in our affections, considering it a disease-carrying verminous creature only one step above the sewer rat, the ancient and venerable messenger pigeon's history goes back many centuries. A variety of the rock pigeon, Columba livia domestica, the homing pigeon is a domestic pigeon selectively bred to amplify the natural and innate homing ability of the species to find its way back to its nest. It's believed to use magnetoreception, a sense which allows the pigeon to detect the Earth's magnetic field, as well as the sun's position and a keen eye for landmarks, to find its way back home. It usually does so with unerring accuracy, and at a considerable rate of knots, being able to maintain an average flying speed that a 737 would be proud of, around 50 miles an hour. Their skills have been used by many in the past. Genghis Khan employed them. In 1167, a regular service flying between Baghdad and Syria was established by the Sultan Nur Eddin, and a message informing England of the outcome of the Battle of Waterloo was entrusted to a pigeon. By placing their food in one location and their home in another, it became possible to have a regular two-way journey, such as between Auckland in New Zealand and the Great Barrier Island, where a twice-daily airmail service was established in 1898. However, in most circumstances, the pigeon is taken away from its loft, sometimes hundreds of miles, a message inserted in a tiny metal tube and attached to the bird's leg, and, when released, it will return to its home where the message can be recovered. As useful as it has been in ancient history, it was the more modern twist to this novel form of communication that intrigued me, since, in wartime, the RAF found a use for this intrepid traveller. Radio transmissions were something of a two-edged sword during wartime. They provided instant communication, but the position of the transmitter could be triangulated using direction-finding equipment. This wouldn't normally be a problem for a station in Britain or a fast-moving aircraft, but when the radio operator was on enemy soil or in a slow-moving ship, keeping your location secret was vital. Hence, downed Allied airmen who had parachuted out of their crippled bombers and were now bobbing around on the sea needed to have an alternative way to advertise their location that wouldn't bring an immediate response from an unwelcome rescue vessel sporting a large German swastika. So the word went out to the inhabitants of the British Isles for racing pigeon devotees to donate their prize birds to the war effort, and in February 1939 the National Pigeon Service Committee was formed. 
Membership was offered to pigeon fanciers who had a minimum of 20 birds in their lofts, which were trained as homing pigeons and met the standards laid down by the committee. By November, the RAF were taking delivery of the first of these vital birds who were to go on operations with their reconnaissance flights, bombers and coastal command aircraft. For each service flight that a pigeon made, four old pence was given to the owner, about 66p in modern money, something a little under a dollar, and they were granted a special allowance of corn and seed. Over 200,000 birds operated with the National Pigeon Service, and the service was expanded to all military services and even military intelligence, the Secret Intelligence Service, and the Special Operation Executive. Whilst one of the major factors for using homing pigeons was their ability to find their home loft from wherever they were released, their speed and range were also impressive. With an average speed of 50 miles an hour, it made it almost impossible for them to be shot down by ground troops, so the Germans turned to birds of prey to attack and stop the birds getting their messages delivered. Stop the pigeon, 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 stop the pigeon. In the UK, for the same reason, a program of culling birds of prey along the British coast was undertaken to aid the chances of the intrepid little messengers to get through. In addition, posters were placed around the country with the dire message. The Defence of the Realm Regulation 21A, Shooting Homing Pigeons. Killing, wounding or molesting homing pigeons is punishable under the Defence of the Realm Regulations by six months imprisonment or £100 fine. The public are reminded that homing pigeons are doing valuable work for the government and are requested to assist in the suppression of the shooting of these birds. A five-pound reward will be paid by the National Homing Union for information leading to the conviction of any person shooting homing pigeons. The very first RAF pigeon to deliver a message from a downed aircraft on the continent was one with a royal pedigree. Royal Blue, who came from the Royal Pigeon Lofts and flew 120 miles in 4 hours and 10 minutes on the 10th of October 1940, successfully delivered his message with the crew's whereabouts after the aircraft he was on was forced to make a landing in occupied Holland. Many birds were dropped over occupied Europe in special parachute containers, containing a pigeon, a questionnaire in Dutch, Flemish and French, a pencil and a small bag of feed. The hope was that important intelligence could be gathered from the beleaguered local inhabitants. However, the painful reality was that out of 16,554 birds dropped between 1941 and 1944, only one in ten made it home. Some were lost in planes shot down, others were handed in to the police, fell straight into the enemy hands, were eaten by hungry locals or taken by hawks. But every now and then, a pigeon got into the hands of true patriots, willing to take the risk of sending a message back to Britain. One was known as Message 37, sent by the de Bally family, small band of patriots who called themselves Leopold Vindictive. 
This message was a thing of such lovingly detailed beauty, revealing the exact positions of German military installations, that it was shown to Winston Churchill, who hailed it as symbolic of the spirit of resistance alive inside occupied Europe. The family knew of the bird's successful journey because, listening illegally to their radio set, they heard the BBC's coded message. This is the BBC. Leopold Vindictive. The key fits the lock and the bird is in the lion's cage. Of course, there was always the chance that spies in Britain might be using German birds to send messages back to the fatherland. So the Defence of the Realm Act also required that nobody could keep homing pigeons or carrier pigeons without a permit from the police. The Home Office instructed chief constables across the East Coast to visit all owners of pigeons and release the birds. If they flew in the direction of mainland Europe, their owners would be under suspicion. A note from Number 10 Downing Street, apparently written by Herbert Asquith, suggested employing Boy Scouts to watch where pigeons were coming from. The Home Office wanted pigeons found flying seaward in the early morning to be shot. However, despite all the pro- and anti-pigeon regulations, British pigeon fanciers from Ipswich to Plymouth, who gave up their pigeons for war use, were heroes, but the pigeons were the greatest heroes of all. Take 11-month-old Billy, for example, who, when his bomber crew crash-landed in France in 1942, delivered his message the next day in a state of collapse. He had flown through a gale-driven snowstorm back to the RAF station in Lincolnshire. And on the 23rd of February 1942, a badly damaged RAF bomber ditched into the North Sea. The crew were returning from a mission over Norway, but their Beaufort bomber had been hit by enemy fire and crashed into the sea more than a 100 miles from home. Struggling in freezing waters, unable to radio an accurate position back to base, the four men faced a cold and lonely death. But as the aircraft went down, the crew had managed to salvage their carrier pigeon. The blue-checkered hen bird called Winky was set free in the hope that it could fly home to its loft in Broughty Ferry near Dundee and so alert airbase colleagues of their predicament. Rescue was far from certain. But Winky did make it home after flying 120 miles and was discovered exhausted and covered in oil by owner George Ross, who immediately informed RAF Lucas in Fife, who launched rescue missions, and the men were found. Winky became the toast of the airbase with a dinner held in her honour. I'm assuming that pigeon pie wasn't on the menu. And a year later she became the first animal to receive the Dickin Medal, named after the People's Dispensary for Sick Animals founder Maria Dickin, for delivering a message under exceptional difficulties. The Dickin Medal is the highest award that can be made to an animal for bravery, and many were awarded to the plucky pigeons of the Second World War. A female war pigeon bred in Scotland, White Vision, was also a recipient of the Dickin Medal for her bravery. 
On October the 11th, 1943, the crew members of one of the Catalina flying boats used by RAF Coastal Command to patrol sea routes for U-boats were stranded in dire weather conditions in the North Sea. All radio communications ceased to work, and when the plane crashed into the sea, White Vision was sent to deliver their location. Flying 60 miles against extremely strong winds, she was able to return to her loft and deliver the message. Due to her efforts, the search for the crew members resumed and the flying boat was found. After spending 18 hours at sea, all 11 members of the crew were rescued successfully. The RAF weren't the only service to use pigeons. President Wilson was another pigeon that valiantly served with the U.S. Army during World War I. He was with Tank Corps during his first deployment and was stationed in the forwardmost tanks to deliver the location of enemy machine gun nests. He was then transferred to an infantry unit and participated in the Meuse-Argonne Offensive of 1918. Released to request artillery support, Wilson flew through waves of German bullets to deliver his message. In the process, he lost his left leg and was shot through the breast. However, he survived his wounds and lived a quiet life until he died in 1929. A taxidermist then prepared the bird for display at the Smithsonian Institution common occurrence, it seems, for brave pigeons. On October the 18th, 1943, during the peak of World War II, Calvi Vecchia, a small German-occupied town in Italy, was about to be bombed. However, the Germans unexpectedly withdrew from the town and the British 56th Infantry Brigade moved in. With this unexpected turn of events, the citizens scrambled to deliver the good news to the British through radio communications. Unfortunately, these attempts failed to get the word through. An imminent bombing was looming and hundreds of lives of the people there were at stake. As a last resort, the messenger pigeon G.I. Joe was sent to deliver the message. Making a 20-mile trip in only 20 minutes, G.I. Joe safely informed the U.S. Air Command and managed to stop what would have been a tragic bombing. It's estimated that G.I. Joe saved up to 1,000 lives. G.I. Joe was another bird to receive the Dickin Medal for his exemplary service. In total, 32 birds were awarded the Dickin Medal, upon which is written, For gallantry, we also serve. The pigeons were given the best technology available to allow them to assist in the war effort. A special camera was constructed so that birds might become photo-reconnaissance pigeons. They had sophisticated carriers to allow them to be taken by air, land and sea and even in tanks. Mobile lofts were invented so that they might travel with troops on the ground, but the best was undoubtedly the pigeon bra made for American troops, which made it easier for soldiers parachuted into foreign fields to carry birds on their person. But what of the brave Gustav, whose efforts prompted the delightful Golden Gustav Ale that I was lucky enough to quaff in the Bluebell Inn? Nab him, jab him, tab him, grab him, stop that pigeon now! 
Gustav was a grizzle-coloured cock pigeon trained by Frederick Jackson of Cosham, Hampshire. His early missions saw him carrying messages out of occupied Belgium for the resistance. On the 6th of June 1944, Gustav was on board an Allied landing ship, having become one of six pigeons given by the RAF to Reuters news correspondent Montague Taylor. Following the Normandy landings, Gustav was released by Taylor to send back to the UK the news. We are 20 miles or so off the beaches. First assault troops landed 0750. Signal says no interference from enemy gunfire on beach. Steaming steadily in formation. Lightnings, typhoons, fortresses. Crossing since 0545. No enemy aircraft seen. Carrying his message, Gustav travelled the 150 miles to his loft at Aria Thorny Island in 5 hours and 16 minutes, whilst facing a headwind of up to 30 miles an hour, where his handler, Sergeant Harry Holsey, received him. Due to the fleet's radio silence at the time, Gustav's message was the first word of the invasion to reach British mainland. Sadly, Gustav died after the war in an accident when someone cleaning his pigeon loft accidentally stepped on him. Nice. What a sad, <laughs> tragic end to the... I know. Oh. Somebody stepped on him. Yeah. Oh. You wouldn't want to admit that, would you? Did you have I to do not. that? <laughs> I mean, you have to... I guess you have to include that last little detail, but geez. I thought it rounded off the story nicely. Good old brave Gustav. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Gustav. Yeah, okay, very well, I'm, sad. I'm, I'm interested. Uh, maybe uh, Liz and uh, and uh, Steph can fill us in. Have you ever worn a pigeon bra? It's kind of odd. No, yeah, <laughs> I don't so, even know. No. Yeah, so I, th- I thought that was an interesting <laughs> item that they issued to the uh, soldiers. Uh, yeah, I bet the, there's a, a few uh, U.S. soldiers who parachuted into enemy territory who've probably left that bit out of their memoirs. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, was, uh, th- so. that was fascinating. I think um, the role of the pigeon in uh, wartime efforts. Yeah, and next it'll be the role of the mouse. Really? Okay. <laughs> no. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Uh, I was actually believing you. But although they did attempt to assassinate uh, Hitler with a woodpecker. Um, I was going to peck him to death. That, well, how did that go? Not well. <laughs> Apparently didn't work. Uh, yeah. Knock on wood. <laughs> wow. Okay, here we go. Where is it? Nice one. Anyway, <laughs> enough of that. Enough of that frivolity. It seemed nice to find an amusing or slightly amusing one anyway. Um uh, we've had some rather tragic stories lately. Yeah. Oh, it's much, much nicer to hear a positive story like that, except yeah. for the stepping of stepping on Gustav and killing him. <laughs> <laughs> now, did, did you get Stop the Pigeon in the States? Is that something that you had? That, uh, what? The music? and I, the, I never heard that. No, no. No, that was the first time I've you ever didn't. heard that. Oh, okay, I mean, it was a, it's a kids' a cartoon. Before my time, but. it's it's a well-known kids' cartoon um, about uh, you know Muttley the dog who wheezes and laughs, and these bunch of uh, World War 
uh, well, they were biplane pilots whose job was to stop carrier pigeons. Uh, and there was, yeah, the same characters in the wacky races, really. Yeah, I have heard that that music before and stopped that something or other, but it wasn't pigeon. Not oh. sure what they were sing- singing. Do you remember? Did th- that sound familiar at all to you, Steph? The music? Mm, no, I've no. never heard it before. Well, you're so young. Well, Jen, I, well, that's why I said it might be before it. my time. Yeah. yeah. I wonder if it was in Canada as well, because you know their TV's a little like ours. But there you go. Anyway, for those uh, who were curious and who've never seen it, that's what it was. It was an old cartoon, which I remember all about trying to stop the pigeon. Now, I did hear the uh, little snide remark regarding the 737 at the v- very beginning of your plane I tale. I remember that. Uh-huh. Sure. Saying that it was a respectable speed of you know compared to the seven thirty seven uh, and uh, well, taxing. I can only go by the seven thirty seven as I see taxing around L A. So you know, uh, staying okay. under fifty miles an hour is would you know it's that's uh, like Southwest good. Airlines. I was going to say yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 exactly. <laughs> I think usually they're close to under fifty. Yeah, V one. Yeah, but I've seen them go around corners on only two wheels, so uh, you know. Yes. Hey, uh, Steph, I know you had to go. Um, yeah, I am you... unfortunately up against a uh, hard time limit here of okay. right now. So. Right now. Okay. Well, then we won't play any more. We won't do any more feedback um, while you're here. And we'll say, we'll bid you adieu. Yes. And glad I got to join you for at least a little while here. Yeah. And I'm going yeah, to, love to see meet you. up with a couple of my relatives for lunch and then spend the rest of the day hopefully just relaxing. Yeah, well, good luck on the uh, marathon tomorrow. Yeah, have a lovely time. Thank you very much. I I appreciate it. And my apologies again for the terrible audio on my part. Um, Oh, it's much better with the. uh, um, I know these work so much better. I plug them back in for a few minutes thinking I could could, uh, squeeze some better audio out of them. But um, yeah, for future reference, I'll make sure I have, if I have to do this setup again, I'll bring both pairs. Yeah, we'll figure something out. And good luck with your time. And what are you aiming for tomorrow? Oh, yeah, you know, it's going to be very weather dependent. Um, the weather in Chicago this week has been everything. It was 85 and sunny and humid and really strong gusty winds on Wednesday. And then the next day it was 50 and strong gusty winds and freezing and it's been raining and thunderstorms. So we'll see. If it's if it's good conditions, I'd like to run. I'd like to try for a personal best time of around three three hours, 55 minutes if it's hot and humid and sticky like it was this morning. I'm just going to have a nice tour of the city and call it a training run for next month's marathon in New York. Wow. Wow. Okay. Brilliant. Well, good luck. And I hope you keep all your toes. Oh, thank you. Yes. Uh, new shoes. So we'll see how that goes. Yeah. Good luck with the new shoes. The way around. Are they nice. high heels? They are. <laughs> actually, they do have kind of a, a heel on them for running shoes. But huh. there you have it. Well, good luck with them. Thank you. All right. I'm going to. All right, Steph. Take, Take care. care. Cheers. Bye, everyone. Cheers. Bye-bye. Okay. Let's uh, hit number nine, um, a piece of audio feedback from Jacob. Hey, PG crew. This is Jake in Salt Lake. It's been a little while since I've left some feedback, but since the last time I left feedback, I actually got my commercial pilot's license. Yay. And in two weeks, I will start my first commercial pilot job as a survey pilot, I'll be flying single pilot across the country in 172s doing survey flying, which I'm really excited about. This brings me to my question. What is your advice for single pilot IFR operations, specifically in GA airplanes 
and especially in airplanes that don't have a lot of avionics systems, basically the bare minimum that's needed for IFR operations. What would be your advice for a single pilot with that air, with a G airplane like that in IFR conditions? Again, thank you for the podcast. It's been very inspirational for me to listen to the podcast. I've learned a lot from the podcast and it's given me a lot of guidance as far as what I want to do with my aviation career. It's easy to get sidetracked sometimes with how hard flying flight training can be and how much it costs. But if you look at the end goal and have some outside motivation and it really, it'll be worth it in the long run. I always look forward to hearing the new podcast comes out and the new plane tales. They're always amazing. I even got my girlfriend in listening to it and she'll be starting her flight training here shortly as well. So it's quite a, kind of an addictive podcast. <laughs> Again, keep up the good work. Uh, this is Jake in Salt Lake, Blue Skies and Tailwinds. Well, we just have to do this. Congratulations. Yeah, good job. Brilliant. Well done. Wow. Nice going, uh, getting the commercial and then getting a job with the survey company. And as far as advice for single engine IFR piloting operations, I'm not sure that's either Nick or I can really give you a lot of advice because I don't have you ever well I guess you have flown single in a single engine IFR operations or at least single piloted IFR operations in the military engine single pilot uh IFR yeah um the hunter I flew the nat I flew uh, whenever I was solo uh obviously single uh certainly the hunter had some reasonably old instrumentation but it's not like the kind of instrumentation you're getting a Cessna 172 I'm assuming it's an old-fashioned uh, uh, you know six packers that they yeah, sounded like it to. yeah he was uh, uh, probably with instruments that are powered uh, certainly some of them by um, uh, pneumatics so you know there are a lot of drawbacks to flying with bare minimum of instruments um, uh, so um, I would be absolutely meticulous with your instrument checks before every flight and it's very easy to assume because you think the weather's going to be good in a flight that uh, you know you might pay lip service to it today because it's going to be VFR next thing you know uh, you've got slightly low uh, um, pressure it's suction isn't it on uh, all of this uh, they yeah, suck air across yeah across a gyro which uh, powers your um your main attitude indicator and that's that's the the most dire one to to lose so uh you know make sure everything's running at the right rpm everything's working fine uh, before you commit yourself and um i would also uh, just uh, you see i used to have to fly instrument approaches using uh, only a turn and slip an altimeter and a compass um so i'm familiar with uh, coming back without even an attitude indicator and uh, when you're down to um, losing your AI, unless you've got a standby, um, that's the sort of recovery you're going to have to make. And it's a useful skill to have. So, you know, if you're concerned about it, get up with an instructor who knows how to do that sort of stuff and learn the techniques. It's not particularly hard uh, and it can save your life. Very good advice. And um, I'm kind of sad that Steph wasn't still here because uh, she probably has some advice, uh, advice regarding this in the GA world. Um, and I know that we have people out there who are either current or former survey pilots that might have some great advice for you, Jake. And I'm sure they're listening, and I'm hoping that they'll send us some feedback uh, that will help you out. And so cool that you have a girlfriend who is taking flying lessons or about to, and 
is listening to the show. So I don't think he mentioned her name, did he? No. Uh, don't recall no. a name. So hello, Jake's girlfriend. Uh, Hi. Glad that you're listening to us. Absolutely. And um, quickly, uh, let's jump to this. Uh, I'm going to skip number 10 and hit number 11 because I want to make sure that we cover this in this week's show. And then we'll probably end with this one. Okay. Sure. Um, this was sent in by John and it's audio feedback. So let me uh, play the hit the button here. Hello, APG crew. Thought I'd finally do some audio feedback. Since I've not introduced myself, I thought I'd start with that. My name is John, and I work for Acme Global, along with Miami Rick on the 747. I've been in aviation nuts since I was a little kid. I started flying in college in 92. I joined CAP as a senior member in 93, along with starting my career in the airlines as a ramp agent. I did my training the expensive way out in Phoenix, and I moved on to my first airline flying job with Colgan. In the airlines, I've flown for Colgan, Atlantic Coast, Independence Air, Air Wisconsin, and now Acme Global. I've flown the Saab 340, CRJ200, and now the 747-400 and-8. Dash In the airlines, I've always been a pilot, but I've also been a ramp agent, ramp supervisor, customer service, and ramp manager, plus I've spent some time as a maintenance quality assurance auditor. I've also been a flight instructor along the way. I have and continue to volunteer with my union as a safety committee member and in particular as an accident investigator. Now to the feedback. Gentlemen, Dr. Steph, you are excused from this. How can you advocate not putting anything that is broken into the logbook? How can you also go further to take an issue with a first officer recording a discrepancy in the logbook? Are they not trained on the aircraft, and do they not know how things on the airplane are supposed to operate? You operate, as my airline does, on a continuing airworthiness maintenance program. That camp requires you to have aircraft that meet the specifications of a type certificate or other modification documents like engineering orders, STCs, and the like. If the aircraft is deficient, then you need to have it MEL'd, DMI'd, or whatever your airline calls it. If you hold on to a write-up, that is called carrying discrepancies. That is something that can get your airline's ability to use MELs pulled by the FAA. When you start thinking about your commute, your schedule, or the like in front of the procedures of your airline, and ultimately the safety of your aircraft, you started down a path creeping towards unsafe behavior. There have been many operators that have had or nearly had their MELs pulled for such activity. The FAA does look to see if a majority of write-ups occur at bases. Airlines are required to have maintenance personnel available where they operate. Small items can be addressed quickly and shouldn't be held. I don't say this from a theoretical point of view because I've worked for both high-tempo, multi-leg day uh, operations and long single-leg international operations. The documentation on discrepancies as they occur is important. I spent days staring at log books reviewing discrepancies and corrective actions. If properly used, the write-ups and corrective actions can be used to determine reliability of equipment, maintenance actions that don't work, scheduled inspections, 
and make the airplane stay online effectively and efficiently and on schedule. Maintenance control for an airline can usually defer maintenance till a later time. This gives them the opportunity to schedule repairs and tie them into inspections, order required parts, and develop work packages that allow the plane to stay on schedule. Do all the airlines get this concept? Sadly, no. But Acme certainly is one of the airlines that does get it right. They put lots of money and effort into data capture. They use this for their safety programs and their maintenance programs. Next time you have an FO write-up of discrepancy, you should support them. The logbook shouldn't be the sole domain of the captain. That isn't in keeping with good CRM. Delays occur, and you should be in the mindset that a delay is part of business to keep things safe. Okay, I'm getting off my high horse. Great show, and keep up the great work. Well, John, I hope you didn't hurt yourself getting off that high horse of yours. Um, I think, um, first of all, you may have misunderstood what we were trying to say when we discussed this kind of thing. Uh, first of all, I think that it is important that you understand that I did not say, or n- none of us said, that a first officer can't make a write-up in the logbook, at least not at ACME. I did not say that. I'm saying that you can't unilater- you should not unilaterally, on your own, decide that something needs to be written up in the logbook. And this is something that's very important, and I'm sure you know quite a bit about, uh, John, because you've operated with or flown for many airlines. Um, the captain is not just another pilot who happens to make a little bit more money than you and hasn't been around for longer, but he is the designated aircraft commander. I'm, I'm going to read a little bit of a couple excerpts from the operations manual at ACME. The captain is the designated aircraft commander and has full responsibility for the safe operation of the aircraft. The captain has the authority to accept or reject the planned operation at any time if he or she determines an unacceptable or unmitigated safety concern exists. The captain directs the activities of all crew members in a manner which promotes maximum safety, efficiency, and operational effectiveness. The captain sets the example for all crew members with regard to proper conduct, appearance, alertness, discipline, adherence to operating procedures, and standards of proficiency. Also, the captain is expected to foster open communication and be receptive to input from all crew members toward the shared goal of the safe operation. And so again, just to emphasize, the captain is in complete command of the aircraft and has authority over all assigned crew members from the time they report for duty until the termination of the flight, which also includes transportation to and from the layover facility. The captain's orders will receive prompt compliance from all crew members. And if the captain uh, differs from or operates different from written procedures or other instructions, that should be brought to the captain's attention. And if the order still stands after having involved the expanded team as appropriate, it is to be obeyed. And so bottom line is, Captain, I'm responsible for the safe operation of the flight. If I desire to delegate a duty to a crew member, such as placing a write-up in the logbook, making a PA, etc., I may do so. However, it's at my direction and my discretion. As captain, 
basically I own the logbook. I'm the one that's responsible for it. That's why we get the big bucks. I'm the one who will be responsible for anything that goes in it. I think it's imperative that all pilots, especially those of you who didn't spend any time in the military, understand the concept of chain of command or the hierarchy of authority. And uh, just so, again, I think that maybe uh, John got the idea that, okay, we have some kind of a, a discrepancy or some kind of a system or instrument malfunction and uh, well let's see we don't want to write it up here because we don't have any maintenance here we have contract maintenance this is going to cause a delay causing the passengers to miss their connections in whatever major hub let's not write it up until we get back to the hub or um, but i don't if i did convey that that was something that we do i did not intend to do you think that he misunderstood what we were trying to say, Nick? I'm not sure, but he certainly has a very black and white view, uh, and there's nothing necessarily wrong with that at all. Yeah. But it doesn't allow for uh, any discretion when you have that kind of an attitude. So what I'm going to say is that I, would, <laughs> I wouldn't expect my first officer just to pick up the logbook and, uh, or our tech log, as we call it, and write in it without referring to me. Uh, and tell me what he's doing. In the same way, when I pick up the tech log at the end of the flight and uh, I fill out the snags, I do so in consultation with the other pilot because I'm going, okay, I'm going to write up uh, this, that, and the other. Was there anything else I missed? Or have you got any comments about that? And if he wants to, he can read it. Uh, but I'm the one filling it out and I'm the one signing it. So ultimately, whoever fills it in, it's my responsibility to make sure it's correctly done and appropriately signed. Um, carrying faults, uh, I don't need to do that on my operation because, you know, we've got long turnarounds usually at our destinations and it's plenty of time for a fault if it can be carried uh, for the engineer to check the MEL uh, and uh, write it up and send it off. Because quite honestly, what we're talking about here is an administrative process. If we have something that's very minor wrong on the aircraft, the engineer might write it up and it might not even to be need to be fixed for 10, 20, 30, or even longer days. It just has to be put in the tech log so that note is made of it and it's recorded so that eventually uh, it gets fixed when it, perhaps next time it goes into the hangar. Um, so what we're talking about is the paperwork. And the paperwork is vital for tracking snags and making sure everything is covered and nothing's forgotten. But it's not the be-all and end-all. Um, so, you know, um, I don't carry faults. I write them up because there's going to be an engineer there who will me, who will write up the uh, deferment if it needs it, uh, if he can't fix it on the spot. And there you go. The next crew to climb in knows exactly what's wrong with the airplane and when it's going to be fixed. So uh, I don't think any of us would uh, step outside that. Uh, and um, yeah, if the impression was given that we did, then that was probably wrong. So yeah, um, yeah, I, that that's her attitude, and that's what I would stick to. Now, the minimum equipment list does um, allow for certain um, items to be deferred by the flight crew itself, uh, what we call a flight crew placard. And uh, but if it if it's something that's broken, that's that's not working the way it should, and it's not something that can be placarded by the flight crew. 
then absolutely it will be written up in the logbook. And again, it's just uh, recognizing the fact that the captain is the ultimate authority and that I, I I think it's just common courtesy and respect for uh, the role of the captain to discuss something and not just on your own, put it in the logbook. I just, uh, I just think that's wrong. And, uh, that's, I guess was the, the point that we were trying to make at that point. But, uh, just so you know, we don't do, uh, any, you know, games or tricks to, uh, try to limp an airplane across the system just to get it back to a, to a base. And if you, you know, got that impression from me or any of us here on the show, uh, please understand that uh, we will, we've never done that and we will never do that. Well put, sir. Thank you. Okay. Now, you know, you and I, Nick, grew up in, in the military and uh, you learn right off the bat uh, what this whole concept of chain of command, uh, hierarchy of authority is. And uh, it's something that has served the military well for hundreds if not thousands of years and and it's important for a lot of corporations as well but especially in a operation such as an, an airline uh, which uh, you know is is in the realm of transporting the public safely uh, it's very important that this chain of command uh, remain intact it is uh, and um, people have a funny attitude about the military they because they've never been in it they don't understand how it really works with a command structure and ensuring that safety is are followed uh, and that whoever's in command isn't the sole pers- person to uh, make a decision. But ultimately, the decision does rest with him. So it's just like being a good captain. You are in charge of everything, but you won't make a decision, assuming time permits, without consulting everyone who might have something to say. And the military teach that and have probably taught it better than the airlines for many years. Um, the airlines uh, adopt CRM. They, they often quote the old-fashioned fast jet military pilots of the 50s, 60s, or 70s, depending on what era you've grown up in, as being the thing that generated CRM so that we could get rid of these authoritarian pilots. Authoritarian pilots have existed within the civil world and outside the civil world for as long as there have been pilots. So you're not really teaching a military bloke anything, really. He should already know all that stuff. And uh, I think you'll find that most military guys are very well versed in uh, how to conduct themselves in a multi-crew environment. Exactly. Again, just to uh, make sure that we're understanding, um, you know, what the proper role of a captain is, um, he's expected, he or she is expected to foster open communication and be receptive to input from all crew members toward the shared goal of a safe operation. So, and that's what we do at ACME. And, um, it's just, again, kind of common courtesy, uh, to, you know, discuss something and, and before you do something that might have great implications, uh, regarding the operation, you need to talk to the captain about it, not just do things on your own. You're not the captain. (laughs) It's not, uh, you're not the co-captain. You're the co-pilot. Okay. Off my soapbox. And, uh, but thank you, John, for sending that in because that did really, uh, generate some good discussion, I think. Absolutely. 
All right. I don't have a soapbox. I'm, I don't need one. I'm tall enough. And you don't need soap because you're such a clean guy. <laughs> I wouldn't say that. <laughs> All right. With that, uh, we're going to go ahead and um, move the item number 10 to the uh, next show, an update on an accident that occurred in uh, the Maldives, I guess. Maldives? Maldives? I always have trouble pronouncing that. Yeah, it's Maldives. That. Well, as Maldives. I pronounce it. But... Male. Maldives. Um but anyway, we'll, we'll save that one for the next show, uh, along with uh, some more of your great feedback and news that happens between now and next show. And if you want to learn more about the show, head over to AirlinePilotGuy.com, our website, and uh, we download our apps for both iOS and Android. And uh, social media, Captain Nick, can you tell us about that? Yes, if you want to tweet and include us uh, in your tweets, then just add the handle at APG Crew, and we'll get to see it. Uh, and as well, if you follow us, then uh, we usually tag that on there so you get to see most of our tweets, depending on the policy of Twitter at the time. Facebook, uh, just the usual Facebook uh, preamble, followed by airline pilot guy and uh, you'll see that and Liz and I certainly are reasonably active on Facebook and uh, we'll try and respond uh, and at least acknowledge uh, all your Facebook comments um, might already uh, also add out that uh, for plain tales suggestions there is uh, an email address that is makes it much easier for me to keep tabs on uh, plain tale suggestions which if they arrive in Twitter or Facebook, often sort of disappear in a few days. And when I try and find them again, they've all gone. Uh, now, uh, I'm going to ask Jeff to remind me of the email address. Plaintales at AirlinePilotGuy.com. And you can spell it either P-L-A-N-E-T-A-I-L-S or P-L-A-N-E-T-A-L-E-S. How about P L A I N? Hmm. Well, I didn't. I didn't cover that one. So if you send it to P L A I N, then you're out of luck. It's gonna. I don't know where it's gonna go. <laughs> yeah, plane tales at airlinepilotguy.com is the place to send your suggestions for plane tales. And uh, with that, oh, we do have a um, a thing about yeah, Hillel. Uh, he's been waiting all this time. Come on, Hillel, tell us about Slack. APG listeners, please join us on our Slack team. Slack is a communication, coordination, and sharing platform that works on your mobile, laptop, or browser. On Slack, we share ideas and news. We suggest episode and Plain Tales topics. We plan events and meetups. To get into the Slack team, please email me at slack at airlinepilotguy.com. That's S-L-A-C-K, Sierra, Lima, Alpha, Charlie, Kilo, at airlinepilotguy.com. Or send me a tweet with your preferred email address to at Hillel, and I'll send you an invitation. That's Hillel, spelled H-I-1-1-E-1. Hotel India, 1-1, Echo 1. And see you in Slack. Thank you, Hillel. And until next time, wishing you clear skies, unlimited visibility, and tailwinds. Take care. God bless. Talons, Douglas. Yeah, he's up in the sky. Good day.